0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show. Call
0: the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend.
0: Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, have we got a good show for you today. We got the We got some big wigs in studio today. So we're all sitting up straighter. James is actually almost wore a collared shirt today. We're that serious. Uh, We're going to be talking about um, a great program, Granite Flats. I'm sure you've heard about it on BYU TV. It's going to Netflix, my friends. It's being picked up. So director of content here at BYU uh, Broadcasting is going to uh, be joining us. Scott Swafford. We're going to pick his brain, try to figure out how does a BYU program handle Hollywood? And how, how does Hollywood handle BYU? It's such an interesting little uh, issue going on, opportunity really going on. We'll be talking to Scott today. A little bit later, we're going to get into uh, a book written uh, by uh, Clayton Christensen, who happens to be at Harvard. He's one of Harvard's top consultants and professors, actually. And Karen Dillon co-authored a book with him about uh, entitled How Will You Measure Your Life? So we're going to be hearing basically the ideas of one of uh, Harvard's top professors and finding out about the importance of knowing and answering the question. How do you want to influence the rest of the world? That will be on a little bit later in the show and also how your language impacts your life. Boy, I got a show for you today. Now, here's the deal. I'm shaving. I shave in the shower. I'm a shower shaver. Wow. And I about – I think I shaved my chin I really don't
3: know what to do with that information. I'm just giving to the whole – population okay
2: just because you know you never know when right they want to know how you shave sure you never know absolutely but i um i shaved my chin off just shaved it right off that's what's different this Uh morning i'm chinless
3: i shaved one of my chins off it's a great way to lose a chin now we talked about how the uh, fda approved a uh, uh-huh. injection a where you can you can inject into your chin. Yeah, or, that was
2: rude. That you brought that up. You said I. Needed I thought that. maybe
3: you could use that. It'd be useful for you. No, I didn't. I just needed a new chin. Is what I needed. But it
2: honestly it drives me crazy. I can shave every day, my entire life, and the day like I'm going, I'm have a TV appearance tomorrow. Shave my chin off. How do you make up around a chin? <laughs> you know what I mean,
1: James? Answer that for me. First world problems, Matt. <laughs> they
3: they could use some spackle
1: and I'm just fill ask, in the divot, right? Is like there a divot? You called it a divot? It's kind of a divot. You yeah, took really. a
3: chunk
2: out of your chin there. I'm going to ask Scott because Scott Swafford coming up, He they have a lot of makeup on Granite Flats. They, they have do. professionals. Maybe he can lend me some makeup person to put my chin back on. Uh, it's embarrassing. But you know what? I can't do everything.
3: I can't shave and <laughs> do a radio yeah, show. Maybe separate the shave and the shower. <clears throat> I would, but it's efficient. Okay, I yeah, I see that.
2: Highly ineffective. You lose a chin. What Apparently. I need is a mirror. That
3: could be helpful. Yeah, when how you're...
1: do you do it without a mirror? I don't understand.
3: I do it by feel. Hmm.
1: So you, do you like feel where your sideburns are? And then no, go I, I don't. I don't do my sideburns.
2: I do those in the mirror later. Oh, okay, but I get the rest done. <laughs> it's all by feel. That's wow. how that's how bald people do it. Just feel their way around. Maybe they don't. I don't know. (sighs) We bring you the best news, folks, and the best information to help you grow a healthier
1: beard
3: and lose a few pounds in chin. Maybe some plumber's putty. If you're going to continue to shower, it's more waterproof. Okay. That's That's a great
1: idea. Spackle, plumber's putty. Yeah. got a lot of options, Matt.
3: Silicone? Just go out to the hardware
2: store. I thought
1: thought you'd help, but you're not helping.
3: (laughs) This is a serious deal. I could have bled to death. No, you probably wouldn't have. Well,
2: no one's up in my house. I could have fainted. Well, that could have happened. In the shower. You are a... Matt Townsend dies in the shower. A frail individual. Uh, weird. Lost his chin. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, crazy story going on in uh, in um, the trains in Philadelphia. Yes. A crash. Talk a li- about
3: An Amtrak crash in Philadelphia. At least six people killed, more than 140 hospitalized, including eight in critical oh, condition. Sheesh. The train derailed Tuesday night, uh, Philadelphia's northeast neighborhood. The mayor says, we don't know what happened here. We're not going to speculate. Uh, added that the scene is an absolute disastrous mess. It was a, a New York to Washington, D.C. line. I've been on that
2: that train before, about that time. So that's, a lot of people do the little, you know, the late
3: trip into from D.C. to New York, and holy cow. Seven cars came off the track. Uh, all the appropriate agencies are on site now trying to figure out exactly what happened. A... Uh, a employee from the AP was on he's not a reporter but he works for the AP was on the train he said it felt like someone just slammed on the brakes oh my heavens
2: and luckily they did say that luckily there wasn't a fire a lot of times there's a fire on these at the very end and um if there had been a fire there would have been a lot of fatalities because
3: 146 people hospitalized if you see any of the pictures it's obviously a mess when the train derails oh
2: well our prayers go out to them that's another I mean this is the thing about every what
3: week we have a tragedy so there's the next tragedy. Uh, Jeb Bush announces that he will not attend the Iowa straw poll. Whoa! Is Jeb going to give up on Iowa? He uh, he will be attending an, an event in Atlanta on the same day. Okay, so Jeb's is weird. seceding. He, he's he's giving up on
2: Iowa. You don't you do not do that.
3: Jeb Bush is the first well-known Republican in the 2016 presidential field yeah. to officially opt out of the straw poll, uh, the national uh, event. I don't know. It's, it says a strong criticism over the years. Yeah. Is it really that important? Well, the whole, a lot of people are saying, why is
2: Iowa – why do they have this much power? But the straw poll is the beginning of the Iowa power and you just
3: play the game if you want to win Iowa. It's a historical yeah. thing. They, they, were the, they were the first and they've gotten all this attention right. over the years and so they've continued. Uh, Mitt Romney skipped the straw poll in 2011. Look at how did he do. He lost. Oh, oh, that's right. Good yeah. point. Uh, Bush Sr. and Bush Jr. both won the straw polls in 79 and in 99. Interesting. So they're so. not list- – Jeb, Jeb. Jeb. Listen to your father. <laughs> Get to the straw poll. Uh, what is it? Hillary Clinton hasn't answered reporters' questions in three weeks.
2: Well, you know what? You
3: talked about this before. Uh, I did. Why? But she – why? Come on, Hill. So Washington. the Washington Post reports that during 30 days of Hillary Clinton's official campaign, she has answered precisely eight questions <laughs> from journalists. Once more, uh, all those questions occurred in the first week or so of her run. For the last three weeks, she has answered no press questions at all. As for the questions Clinton has answered, don't get too excited – None of the answers were in-depth. Clinton answered a question about the release of her economic plan by saying, we have a plan for my plan. <laughs> she, but, <laughs> you know what? She's pretty much the only one running in the Democratic Party. And Hey, don't th- forget Bernie. Oh, sorry. And Bernie, Bernie Sanders. And Bernie
2: Sanders. And maybe Martin O'Malley, maybe. But, but why would you start answering questions? I mean, what are they gonna, it's only the press that wants the questions. Absolutely. I mean, people do, too. But, yeah. hey, she's got nothing to lose here.
3: I, I'm going to start not answering questions. Six, what? Eight questions over the last 30 days. I've answered more questions than that. Absolutely. I should run. Harry Reid? Yes. Minority leader in She's the Senate. he still around? He is not happy Uh-oh. with the way the NFL has uh, gone after Tom Brady. Really? He's not happy about Hold the way on. the NFL... Harry Reid's going to get involved in the Brady scandal? Yes. Why? He says, he he goes, I find it stunning that the National Football League is more concerned about how much air is in a football than with a racist franchise that degenerates Native Americans across the country with the Redskins, the Washington Redskins. Okay. (laughs) He said this on the Senate floor. So he took, you know, business time, official time to discuss this. The Redskins name is racist. So I wish the commissioner would act swiftly and decisively and change the name of the D.C. team. As he did about uh, not enough air in football. Act as decisively as hmm. you did about okay. deflated footballs. Well, that's one way to just inject another political issue. And in other news, the uh, lawyer who ran the investigation into the deflated footballs, mm-hmm. because this is what's vastly important at the time, right. is mad because of uh, comments made by Brady's agent and the you know, the Patriots. Oh. So he came out in a press conference He came out swinging. And he said that he has – Uh, decided to take – he tailed his press conference. He said that uh, he has decisive evidence. He goes, well said his finding would have been strong enough to convince a jury under the preponderance of evidence standard, which is used in many civil cases. So he's convinced –
2: there's enough evidence.
3: It's not circumstantial. He has enough evidence to convince a court that he did this.
2: Even though they had that really kind of weak definition of what Brady may have – Known, supposedly, whatever. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah. Whatever that phrase was. Okay. The the lawyer
3: speak. To, to so the lawyer is saying
2: though. Know. Okay, I can I can hold this up. Yeah, I've so got. He this. goes. If so, you want to challenge
3: yeah. this, and if Tom Brady does challenge it, he may have to actually present the emails that he said he would. Oh, then we'll before. go public. Let's just go public with all the emails. Yeah. Mm. So we'll see what happens. This is turning into quite the drama.
2: Is that good? Doesn't seem good. Uh In fact, really. Does it matter? Everyone always says it doesn't matter. I personally think it matters because I have five kids that love football players and even Tom Brady. So, yeah, it matters if you're going to lie about stuff and cheat, maybe. Uh, We're going to take a break. Coming up, a a great uh, opportunity for us here at Brigham Young uh, BYU Broadcasting on the Brigham Young University campus. We have been putting together content for many, many, many years. And uh, there's probably nobody at BYUB that's done more of it and been more, I think, important to the great quality that we're putting out than the next guy we got coming on. Director of Content Scott Swafford will be joining us. He's going to be talking to us about one of BYUB's uh, offerings. Granite Flats is now going to be picked up by Netflix. So all of you out there in listener land can easily go to Netflix and start watching some of the great stuff from BYU Broadcasting. We'll take a break back with Scott Swafford right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend show. Okay, tell me that's not taking you back. Okay, imagine nineteen sixties, kind of a spy thriller. Would you be interested? Would you be interested in a family-friendly spy thriller from the nineteen sixties? Because folks, it already exists. It's called Granite Flats. BYU TV has been uh, has this is now the third year they're starting of the show Granite Flats. It's now set to be released on Netflix on May 15th, and we've brought really the creator of the, the show, the director, the guru extraordinaire, Scott Swafford's here with us today. Scotty, how are you, brother?
4: You know, it's good to be here, man, and I hate to throw you a curveball, but what? I heard your previous lead in, and uh, I think since Hillary's the person I'm trying to model my life after, <laughs> I'm only going to answer eight questions. We've got eight questions. Yeah. Oh, so my you heavens. decide which ones are most What's important. What's the most important question? Hey, yeah. have you ever cut your chin shaving? No, but I was going to say we could fix that. Let me just. Say, Can you? There's, fix yeah, the? there's just a little spirit gum and latex, and they'll just. Oh, you know over. what? else?
2: Because you you do some great work on your show. That's a lot of. You're. It's a full fledged show. Granite Flats isn't. It's it's not like a sitcom ish quality. It is a
4: full on. It's a movie every week. Yeah, New York Times called it eminently watchable. Exactly. And the Salt Lake Tribune said, see, I told you it was great, and now Netflix thinks so. And <laughs> it's, uh, So we're getting a lot of great reviews, which is nice. It's nice to have your work recognized yeah. by at least your peers. Well, this is so, what you've always wanted. Yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to tell stories. And, you know, you don't make uh, – sadly, you don't make networks out of honey boo-boo. No. You, know, you make networks <laughs> out of really excellent scripted. And so – thank heavens. We really watched, and I thought, well, it's very expensive. It's difficult for us to do. But – Scripted is what makes networks happen.
2: But here, what I don't get, Scott. Okay, you work for
4: BYU TV,
2: BYU Broadcasting. It's a Mormon BYU channel. Yet, you actually have all of these famous Hollywood actors that work for you. Why would Hollywood actors like Christopher Lloyd, Parker Posey, George Newbern, why would they want to do
4: work with BYU? You know, we did the Today Show last Thursday, and then after that, we did a New York press event. And all the press came from New York to talk to them and asked those very questions, and their answers were surprising to me. Uh, They said things like, um, It feels different when you're on that set. Uh, the writing is so good. It seems to have a heart. Uh, in one of her interviews, Parker Posey actually said, Yeah, it just feels kind of righteous, you know, this <laughs> show. <And> I did, <laughs> like it was, you know, I thought, Oh, well, that's funny yeah, that we use that in quotes. Uh, and, and Parker gets it. She said, You know, there's just so th- I, I love those shows, Bewitched and all that, uh-huh. and this has some of that period fun. Yeah, and she
2: mentioned that. I could not understand, but it, it's the
4: period uh, it, it is the It's, period it's the period of aspect. It she, she relates to. Uh, Agnes Moorhead who uh-huh. played Indora's mother, yeah. and she relates to Kitty from Gunsmoke, and she relates to all these fun characters. And so she said, "I wanted to play that role." Christopher Lloyd said, uh, "I don't, I don't uh, get good material very often." Oh, interesting. Because Christopher Lloyd could
2: make so much more money doing any, like anything Comic Con. <laughs> yeah, embarrassingly,
4: out. about fifty grand to show up in a Delorean at Comic Con in, in a weekend, and I can't pay him that for a season. Isn't so that interesting? It's a, it's a fascinating reality. Um, and he just said, I I love the material. What more could an actor want? I, I believe in it. It's literate. He gets to teach kids Shakespeare and, uh-huh. and uh, Whitman. And so he said, yeah. I love this concept. Is it – because this is Granite Flats.
2: But your goal is, is bigger than even that. Your goal – what is the goal for you, for
4: BYU Broadcasting, BYU TV? What are you trying to do? Well, you know, until about 2009 – we were the keeping you connected network, and we were just right. trying to talk to BYU alums, and and hopefully our BYU radio audience is larger than that. Yeah. But, but then in in 2010, our ownership said, "Hey, hey, you have this amazing platform. You're in 60 million homes. You're in 800 cable systems. Uh, you've got every we've got apps on every possible format. We have more apps than I ESPN know, and amazing. CNN and yeah. everybody else because we have an aggressive digital department. You got this big megaphone. What are you going to do with it? Why don't you start talking to?" Uh, People of faith and celebrate the good in the world. We have this article – Mormons have this article of faith that says let them worship how well or what they may. Yeah, whatever. Why don't we talk to everybody, all people of faith, and and talk about issues of belief and struggle and striving and trying to be better people. And Mm -hmm. so we condense that into a slogan called see the good in the world. And that's that's what we're trying to do and not the good in the BYU world. No. Yeah, so it doesn't –
2: because what's amazing too like about Granite Flats is it's not even – it's written by a Buddhist – he, the head writers of Buddhists, Buddhist. Yes. Yet it's kind of produced by Mormons, but it's acted by pretty much every denomination. Everyone.
4: The first season, the writer's room had a, an Orthodox Jew and a lapsed Catholic and a Buddhist and two Mormon <laughs> kids and James Shores, who was the creator of the original idea. We all sat there and, and we'd wrangle plot. And then someone would say – literally, discussions about faith among this group was pretty interesting because – I bet. We'd say, you know, we ought to – Think about this, and, and, and someone said, well, "Well, we'll pray about that tonight." And I imagine John in the other room going, yeah. "Namjo, and, you know, me <laughs> saying, like, "Heavenly Father, help us Henry with this father. show." And, right. It's just such a weird world that we're all trying yeah. to figure out our spirituality. But what comes out of that is what I think is a really universal celebration of the things that matter. And Granite Flats has tried to be that.
2: It's cool, and it's it's also interesting. You have meetings about the tone. We do because you don't want it. It's but you want to talk values, but you want to talk. You want it to feel natural so when a scene's going on and a, an alcoholic father struggling you could bring up god and you do but you want to
4: do it in the right tone well you know i don't think anybody this is too broad a statement very few people get up in the morning and while they're shaving in the shower cutting their chin off say to themselves <laughs> I'd like to be edified today. Yeah, right. Just nobody does that. Exactly. If you're going to turn on television, you want to be entertained. Yeah. And so our attitude is entertainment always comes first. That's the carrier wave of the whole thing. Right. And if you can entertain and if you can add suspense and romance and intrigue, then you have the right to weave in there very carefully and organically a message. And our message is – you know, secret message warning. Our (laughs) secret message is we're all struggling here on earth and banding together and talking about faith and and what's right and what's wrong matters. And so I can weave that into that discussion and we can redeem Herschel without making it a silly transformation. And Mm -hmm. we can make everybody's life better when you make good choices. And those themes weave through granite flats, but they're certainly not in the foreground.
2: Well, that's what the Times, the Post, they're all saying. This isn't – you don't sense Mormon.
4: You just sense good values. Yeah. I mean the pastor on the show isn't even a Mormon pastor. There's, nobody talks about you know, religion versus that. They do talk a lot about prayer. In the first yeah. season, Arthur's praying to his dad who he thinks is dead. I, I mean, mean it's, it's a whole uh, yeah. know, interaction with forces greater than ourselves. And so mm-hmm. not to get really metaphysical about it. We we do get really specific about some examples of faith. Uh, Herschel, who's this alcoholic, is quoting Paul all the time because the writer, John Plummer, happens to love the writings of Paul. So right. I keep going, you're putting too much Paul. In. There's, there's a no, lot in no, I just love Paul. You <laughs> Isn't know? that great though? So it's terrific. It's, um, it also
2: seems like you've, you've hit the right mark. I know you, you were from Hollywood. You worked in Hollywood. You knew all about Hollywood. In fact, there's a great quote. I've got to read it. Uh, somebody once asked you about being a Mormon and a filmmaker. What would it take to make a Mormon television network watchable? And you quickly, flippantly answered, about $350 million. Yeah. (laughs) You have a lot smaller budget than that. (laughs) And yet you're now making watchable TV. Did you think this could happen?
4: No. No. I thought we would do some really respectable documentary work. Yeah, like National Geographic kind of stuff. My predecessor had done amazing work there. And I thought we'll do that kind of really solid documentary and we'll – and then Jared Shores walked in my office and said, "What about this comedy show?" And I went, "Oh, comedy is hard. Every this is an old adage. That's you know, it. Dying is easy. Yeah, right. Comedy is hard. You're crazy." And and they, he and Matt Meese convinced me Studio C would work. And, and then, Studio C's killing it, and it is killing it. You know, hundreds of millions of views online. Uh, then you, then James Shores, this student in the program at BYU, had this script. And usually I nod and pat uh-huh, those students on the head there. and say, "Thanks so nice much for try. your effort." This I looked at and I went, you know, it's the right period. It's the right concept. It's something you can get our fingers and hands uh-huh. all over dirty into. And so James came on board and lent us his great talent. And we augmented that with all the industry contracts I'd made, contacts i would met over the years. And uh, out of it came what I think is a pretty intriguing, unclassifiable drama. Yeah, That's what all right. the critics said. Well, what do you call this? And I said, I just call it Granite Flats. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's kind of – Parker Posey tried on the Today Show and she had kind of a hard time. My attitude is it's sort of <laughs> Wonder Years meets Twin Peaks. That's and a great. Way just to it. enough weirdness it that uh-huh. these kids emerge into a strange world and all the plot lines start to affect them. And Twin so. Peaks is a great way to explain it yeah. and, and Wonder Years. And a little Back to the Future. And a little Back to the Future with Chris in there <laughs> you who's got that. delightful.
2: That's always hanging on there, isn't it? It is. You, um, you really, though, you,
4: you made a comment that it's kind of like broccoli pizza. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just explain that. I'm getting
4: famous for that now. You know um, – I was sitting before our our board of directors, our ownership board and I yeah. said, "Look, um they said, "Well, what do you do? are you sure that this is a good use of of money that yeah. comes from, you know, devoted members of the faith and donors who supply this this uh, funding?" And I said, "Look, our kids want to eat pizza because it's tasty and it's yummy and we want them to eat broccoli because it's good for them. And so BYU's attempt is to make broccoli pizza. And if the broccoli content gets too high, they won't eat it. That's right now. And if the pizza content is predominant, then we have no business There's spending no you know, important money on that. Mm-hmm. So, so they just laughed and then one of them said, well, well what's the uh, what's the pizza for that audience? And I said, you know, it's not sex and violence because uh-huh. they're not doing that. It's – romance it's suspense it's adventure yeah. it's all the things it's comedy it's all the things we're allowed to use as as it's people huge. of faith in our life so that's my sort of well-worn uh, yeah. adage now and we do really weigh every episode against that standard but i see the same thing you're trying
2: to do this show that if it's not entertaining no one's coming to eat it exactly. and if they're not coming to eat
4: it then you're creating great content that's beautifully archived no and so th- so this master teacher that that christians talk about you know jesus um he had two ways to get to to his idea of love your enemies. Yeah. One was to say love your enemies and he uh-huh. did that. Yeah. And then the other was to say, hey, a man goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho and is fallen on by thieves. And everyone goes, no, oh, ooh, Whoa, tell, me that, tell me that story. And they get the same place. Yeah, that's true though. It's true. Yeah. So it's why the, not use that model and that's the goal.
2: And to know that my kids can just – I have nieces and nephews, kids that want to come just watch the, the run-throughs, the pre-runs
4: of Studio C. Twenty thousand requests for every two hundred fifty seat taping. That's crazy <laughs> on a lottery. So you know we could fill some of these giant arenas yeah, and do but it's it. It's saying something. It's basically Saturday Night Live clean. It is, and it's harder. It's way oh, harder it's to harder. be funny and clean. Cause... Well,
2: and you also have to. You're also even trying to be respectful. You're not even. It's not even just clean. Right. You don't want to just make fun to be flippant no. and mean
4: you know you can't be that nasty mm-hmm. we can be tiny bit sarcastic yeah yeah we can lampoon the things that we all share as humans because we all share them but if you start singling out a group or a segment right. of society making fun of them then we've lost the spirit of it and man try being funny under those circumstances no seriously yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's easy to just make fun of everyone. they're brilliant those, those oh people. man okay scotty hang on scott swafford's joining
2: us director of uh of content here at byu is that what you call director of content
4: it, uh, creative director creative works better director. for the that industry, but my business card says director of content. So Yeah, just the stud of the year. <laughs> That's what we're calling it. The broccoli pizza
2: man. We'll take a break, come back, uh, trying to understand more how you balance and be creative. I also want to find out what's next. He's got something in the back of his head. I'm sure there's something new up next. More, uh, more insight into uh, Granite Flats and its success up here on the BYU uh, radio right here on the Matt Townsend Show.
1: I understand the large hearts of heroes, the courage of present times and all times. How the skipper saw the crowded and rudderless wreck of the steamship and death chasing it up and down the storm. How he knuckled tight and gave not back an inch and was faithful of days and faithful of nights. Shocked in large letters on a board.
5: Be of good cheer. We will not desert you.
0: I was the man. I suffered. I was there.
2: Welcome back, friends. Ooh, just a little taste. Just a little taste of Granite Flats. Again, Granite Flats uh, is is a, probably, is it the most successful thing they've done at BYU TV, Scott Swafford. It's
4: all the critical acclaim and all the earned media and all the press attention that we're getting have come from Granite Flats. To be really honest, Studio C gets better ratings for a bigger audience. Yeah.
2: Well, and I guess that's the virility of it, it is. for it now. Is but now that you're going to Netflix, so Scott Swafford's joining us, creative director here at uh, BYU TV, director of content is what they call him. He really, though, is, is the one responsible to get stuff exciting, get it out there, make it happen under
4: budget. Yes, yes. <laughs> without offending people. And without offending people, yeah. which is a hard, hard Smart thing. thing. Yes, we do get letters. Most of our, our our uh older audience who's been loyal to us for years yeah. is very unhappy. I've I've moved the Fons and Porter's Quilting Show is no longer. I know because that's Sunday. it.
2: And that's what BYU TV used to be was. was the quilting show, and it was great because you know people needed sure. content, and we had a ton of content.
4: And you know how to paint those trees with a little piece <laughs> of sponge right. if you watch I the art show. Guy. Now we don't. He's gone.
2: He's, you don't even have an art show anymore, no, or
4: a cooking show. You've even kind of moved away from all the cooking shows. We, we, do. we still run Chef Brad. We still run uh, uh, Food Nanny, but we're not creating new ones because. Who can do that better than Food Network? Well, that's we right. Can't. That's why you're yeah. going to compete with the Food Network. So you've got to have what's – uh, Ryan, our, our director of digital, always says you need a unique value proposition. And ours is we're excellent, we're innovative, but we're also interesting and yeah. clean and faithful and useful and not gratuitous. Have you thought
2: – I mean you've got to have a bunch
4: of people pitching you all the time for stuff. We take about 300 pitches a year. Do you really? Yeah, and not all of them are related to me. Um, <laughs> And it's hard. I Uh, bet. How do you know? Because every person who pitches thinks their idea is amazing. It's brilliant. Yeah. And so I pick two a year about. That means 298 more people think I'm an idiot every year. Now you're hated even more. Yeah. Yeah. Hate mail comes. Um, But we have a really narrow definition. We know exactly what we're looking for and they're trying to get what they love Mm -hmm. into that round hole and it doesn't always fit. Right. And then once in a while something shows up and we just go, ooh, yeah. That's that's, it. That's it.
2: Do you – does it – what does it do to you personally? Like – Do you just stress every day thinking I've got to please the university. I've got to please the LDS
4: church. I have to please the critics. You must be a stress case. You know, if you fail regularly, you have two options. You can say I'm worthless or you can say, well, I'm a martyr for a really important cause. And I would be happy with either of those. <laughs> You'll take either. But success is its own punishment. Yeah. Once, once you've done two things that are amazing, then you start to say to yourself, can I do that again? Can, I, can we keep it up? Yeah. And, yeah. You still
2: have that insecurity like, I do. can I do it again? Because sometimes
4: this is just lightning in a bottle, right? You, I don't ever take credit, first of all, for the amazing talent that makes Studio C or to this incredible – you know convergence of all these different elements that makes Granite Flats good. I don't take credit for that. I take credit for realizing what was good about it and uh-huh. making it, that part yeah. happen. But but so I don't feel like oh I've got to do it again, but it's like can I pick the right thing? Can I assemble the sure. right team of talented people to do that again? And there is some stress in that. Yeah. Well, and you know, then you go home and you're just dad. Yes. Yeah, don't <laughs> don't pretend you're very important when you yeah, walk through that door. <laughs> do Your kids know how big you are. Yeah. <laughs> they don't do that. Uh, no. You're no. just dad. Actually, they, they know the truth, so they're not fettered by any kind <laughs> of trappings like, of fame. They're not going to get caught up in that. No. Do, you,
2: um, do, do you foresee a day that more stuff will be going on Netflix, that a lot of the BYU offerings will be going to Netflix? I mean usually BYU is either the quilting kind of show, the food show, or BYU sports.
4: Yes, that is that is our base, and
2: your your goal. It seems like is changing that. Trying we to are move
4: slowly that. expanding our existing audience. I mean, we have a really loyal studio, obviously a lo- yeah. loyal studio, C a loyal Granite Flats. Five hundred thousand
2: loyal- views per episode. Is that right?
4: Of Granite Depends, Flats, yes, depending on, the, on the episode, and and then you know BYU Television has about five hundred thousand visitors every month that just show up and watch whatever's on it's amazing. There, yeah. the air. base level. And then something like Scott Sterling Soccer comes along. And you get 100 million views <laughs> on that. So, so you have these things. But at some point, we'll have more and more and more of innovative and purposeful programming. Yeah. And, and it's just how do we get from here to there and, and what are the stepping stones along the way?
2: And again, your goal is make it interesting but also see the good in the world. That's kind of the goal of BYU Broadcasting. Is it, have, you, have you run into a moment where that just doesn't work? Yes, where you ki- where like the quality of what Hollywood's kind of wanting, or not Hollywood, but just the audience entertainment
4: value doesn't always jive with seeing the good. It's uh, we we went to an industry conference on purpose. It was called the Variety Purpose Summit, uh-huh. and uh, we were. I'm sitting there with a guy who did How to Train Your Dragon Two and Earth to Echo, and oh my, goodness. and the, and Michael Flaherty from uh, Walden is sitting next to me, and they're going down the row and saying, okay, after this long discussion. Well, the hard Christian right is saying we don't care if it's good or if it's innovative or if it's interesting. We just want to know that it's Christian. If you're talking about Christian values, we'll buy it. So creative excellence is diminished and faithfulness to their belief system is high. Well, that's not an option for me. There's a lot of guys doing that. That isn't unique. So on the other end of the spectrum, there's all the people who are saying we know what they want. Look at Game of Thrones. Look at Walking Dead. Look at all that. Great writing, great acting, constant nudity, constant sex, constant language. That's what the audience wants. Give them that. I'm riding this really dangerous no man's land. So I'm sitting there and this – they said, OK, well, in last final statement, I'm, I'm preparing my final statement. The Earth to Echo guy says, yeah, you should go see Earth to Echo. The you know Dragon guy says, you should go see the Dragon. Michael Flaherty who's sitting next to me from Walden. If you don't know Walden, it's the Narnia stuff, everything. He says one thing, huh? Yeah. Uh, Studio C on BYU TV. That's the one thing I think you should go watch. I looked at him like, what? wait, wait, is are this you a paid consultant that <laughs> someone sent him? Out of, <laughs> out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And then I looked on his wrist and he had a Studio C wristband and Granite Flats and he said, BYU TV is doing some of the best stuff in this world that there is and my kids love it. And then he pulled out of his jacket bucket that he'd stolen a bunch of rubber riff, wristbands off our table <laughs> you to you give serious? his children. So when you have a fan in the industry like that, you know that that you're Something's somehow walking the tightrope. Yeah. Boy, that's got to be
2: interesting for you uh, because these are these are your peers. And you
4: used to be – you used you had to decide, right? Exactly. Are you going to just do? I'm going to do this show. That my kids can't watch, or am I not? You know, and that led me into the IMAX world because yeah. there's less objectionable content. And you and see, it's interesting. You've yet to do an IMAX here. I have not done an IMAX. They've <laughs> sort of torn the screens. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. But you know, the interesting thing is, I, there's a lot of technicians in this town, all strong people of values, people of faith who, who live in this intermountain region uh, where we're based, and they have to work on whatever comes to town. So yeah. an ABC show comes to town, they don't have to just, you know, decide whether it's more I mean, certainly they're not going to do porn, but right, right. but yeah, I have to look the other way because that's what I make, yeah. you know. Is the bricklayer responsible for what happens yeah. in the finished building? Well, probably not. Right. I have to say no. My kids are going to know I had a hand in it, so I can't really just say, "Oh, I was just a grip on that. I was just a I I just shot it." No, no. I, I it's my problem. So
2: but this is also your this is your purpose, your mission. I mean, you gave up making a lot more money, I'm sure. To do something to do this to go be passion driven then versus profit just driven
4: yeah when they tell me they're gonna fire me um, they always say and it'll be a raise <laughs> <Not great. laughs> you'll get out of here and make a lot more money uh, no, well, uh, but the, the having your having
2: having the opportunity to kind of um, be so principle driven has got to be a payoff
4: in and of itself well I I get to read once in a while viewer comments and we make too much of what viewers say but yeah. when you have thousands and thousands of people writing in and saying, well, I found this and there's something different about it and I'm not bored by it, but I'm also edified by it, then I just go, wow, that's the paycheck. That's it. That's what you needed, huh?
2: Yeah. Is it – so Studio C, uh, Granite Flats, and then the next show. That will be your demise. The next show that will make or break you. Do you just foresee that we just keep building, 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 building? And do you see granite flats continuing?
4: We're not very financially mature right now. We have a finite you know yeah. I wanted three hundred fifty million. They said no. <laughs> yeah. So so we, we, we have to sort of cannibalize our own children to move yeah, forward. So right. some things get canceled so we can start new shows. Yeah. And that's hard because in a regular network if you had a hit you'd just keep it keep and build. It. Mm-hmm. But since my budget is finite I have to say, okay, well, what can go if I'm going to stay fresh. There you go. And that's what's hard. I think eventually we'll figure out whatever this amazing model is that allows us to keep things that are working and build on that. That's true. Well, and it's also interesting
2: how much just young life, young legs bring interesting ideas. Oh, it's so both true. of both of your big hits came Kind of from influence from students.
4: Yeah. I mean, thank goodness this isn't television. You'd see that I'm way too old to be doing Studio <laughs> yeah, C as an executive a, producer. You look Thank so goodness there are young, bright, amazing minds, and, and we just try to be smart enough to see which ones to help and, and yeah. mentor. How would you – just in closing, as an
2: executive here at BYU Broadcasting, what, what overall would you hope the impression of the listeners and the viewers what, – what do you hope they're getting?
4: I hope they say, look – at the end of a difficult day, I came in and decided I was going to give BYU Radio, BYU Television, some of these properties a try. And I came away not only entertained and relieved of stress, but there were some things I was thinking about and wanted to talk about with yeah. people.
2: and take it home maybe. Yeah. That's cool.
4: Well, Scott, you did it. You're still doing it. May 15th, the release on Netflix. What do you sense that's going to do? I think 50 million new places get to see if they're really into this. Netflix wanted to expand their demographic into family and, they, they? and all they had was kind of kid stuff yeah, yeah. and I, I disqualify that as family. That's yeah, what you were, bridged that gap. And, and they said, we want to expand our demographic and we said, great, we want to expand our audience and so it's a risk but we have been pioneers forever. Right. Since the pioneers, we've been pioneers <laughs> and so we're going to be pioneers again and say we're taking our brand new baby, our eight precious episodes of season three and we're going to hand them over to Netflix and say – does this get the word out? That's what they were all saying on the Today Show. This is the b- next binge-watching. It is. And there's 24
2: episodes up there starting uh, May 15th. So, so everyone will shoot through that and watch then, them in HD. Then they're going to be demanding. But so if that if that makes you money, that might produce a model. It might be a model. Yeah, then all of a sudden money. you could just keep this bad boy going. Oh, good stuff. Scott
4: Swafford, thanks, man. Hey, absolutely. Thanks for letting me come.
2: Good stuff. Folks, go check it out, Netflix, on May 15th. But you can also always go to T V. And uh, all available there as well. It's all there. You can get every episode as they come in, as they're released. And then on the air in October. Really? Never stops with Scott Swafford. Thanks, my friend. We're going to take a break, come back, and uh, go back to some headlines here on the Matt Townsend Show up after the break, right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, it's so interesting. Can you imagine running a network like having to produce content that was viable? Oh, we kind of are supposed to do that. Yeah, every day. I think they need to do a. Uh, they need to do um, an animated situation, like an animated comedy, like The Simpsons. What? BYU Broadcasting needs to do a version of The Simpsons. Okay. How? Well, we have one of the greatest animation programs yeah, yeah, in the yeah, country. Yeah, 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 the animation
3: content. Like the, yeah, the, the you, spoken word well, needs to be it's different, easy, It would obviously. probably
2: be easier to go make cartoons for kids, right? But that's not, they, we need adult animation.
3: You want adult animation. animation in the sense of like The Simpsons, but it can't be that. No. Course, I guess she's no. A so it have to be,
2: you know, would walk have to the fine it. line. Yeah,
3: dealing that, with the real life issues. And that's my question: is could you do something like that and still walk a line? Because the 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 reason the Simpsons or like the Family Guy and those yeah. shows are successful is they don't walk any line. They just do what they, they yeah, want. They just are always crisscross. And then the they line. wait for the network sensors to tell them, uh, "No, back off." I mean, all you have to do is really follow
2: someone's life that's really hilarious. And then just mimic it. Are,
3: are you positioning for the Matt Towns animated mm-hmm. feature? Mm. My life's pretty comical. The Dr. Matt show? You could do a whole segment about cutting your chin, cutting off? Your chin off. Right. And then the plumber's putty silicone uh-huh. Which would be to try to fill and in the saying, divot. I'm just saying, if they need divot. content, wow. shush. You really squared off the chin there.
2: You know, I won't even tell you how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> I was right in the middle of tossing my razor. I like to shave my right side, then Uh-oh. toss it, a then catch it and catch yeah. it. Yeah, a little showy. Yeah, a little showy. It's all right. No one can see it because I'm in the shower. Yeah, but yeah. but I was showing off, and the blade came down and took off
3: my chin. You use a straight blade. Yeah, a straight edge it's blade? Straight yeah. edge. Just use a switch. I mean, blade. a lot of
1: people don't use those today, <laughs> but I use a straight edge. That sounds right. like an awful combination. You're in the shower and you're tossing <laughs> around a straight edge. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of a lot of other men wouldn't do it. No. Yeah, no one <laughs> other did, than you. What do you mean? No just uh, you know, Just, you know, extremely dangerous. Yeah. But I live on the edge.
3: And you cut yourself. Have you ever had a straight edge shave? Yeah, I have.
1: And it's scary. I've never
3: done it, it, is, it myself. But they're but I've really had some. nice. They're really nice. Yeah. Except somebody's holding a blade on your well, throat. They call you sir when they do it. Yeah. So there's a the, there's the respect. Yeah, so you think maybe they're not going to kill you. I was actually tied down. Oh, okay, well. So I don't
1: know if they were actually shaving my face. And I feel like after you, you see Sweeney Todd, then that kind of ruins that experience yes. for you.
3: Don't watch that show.
1: Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's
2: like it's the,
3: the Demon Barber on
1: like, Street. Yeah.
2: Sounds great.
3: Yeah. Sounds great. Um, any headlines? So there's been a lot on Deflate Gate and yeah. footballs with the NFL and... The, the whole uh, situation deals with the referees go in and inspect the footballs and they walk away and the footballs are left unattended. Right. And then somebody grabs them, runs into the restroom and deflates all the footballs. That's yeah. kind of sort of how the whole story went out. Allegedly. Well, Major League Baseball is Uh-oh. upping their security for their game, Balls. Really? Cork-gate. Be- because of this exact situation with Tom Brady. Starting this year, Major League Baseball representative will watch the baseballs that will be used in the upcoming game while the clubhouse assistant carries them from the umpire's room to the field. Huh. All the baseballs are inspected, and as they're carried in the bag from the umpire's room that right. is in every stadium to the field, a representative will be watching to make sure that nothing untoward is happening well, to the baseball.
2: Isn't it more likely that the pitcher will doctor the ball, then the balls will be doctored pre-game.
3: It's about the integrity of the game. That's what it's about? Don't forget the last 15, 20 years of possible steroid use by almost right. everybody. Well, that's what they ought to be watching for. Possibly. If uh, the supply of the baseballs during the game runs low, an MLB security person is now sent to retrieve more from the umpire's room, which is locked mm. for the security of the baseball. Yeah. In the past a ball boy or a ball girl would just run into the office, get more and come back out. Cuz they run through a lot of baseballs during the course of a game. Oh yeah. So, found that odd interesting. that they would make yeah. that change. Well, I would love <laughs> to see someone try to deflate a baseball. It could happen.
2: <laughs> they didn't need a drill. That's uh that's a problem I didn't think we'd have.
3: That they needed to guard those baseballs. They're guarding the balls now. Okay. Rand Paul Yes, his uh, he had an aide that decided to take things into his own uh, hands in kind of defending his candidate. Oh boy, here we go. What happened on Monday? Trackers from the Democratic opposition research group American Bridge Twenty First Century went to a Senator Rand Paul event in Londonderry, New Hampshire, before the Republican presidential candidate took the stage. An aide decided that it was up to him and his mouth to stop the group from filming. He first tried to block the camera with his head, but when that didn't work, he slowly licked the lens, grinned, (laughs) and announced, "This is a closed event." If you watch the YouTube video, he licks very slowly from the bottom of the lens (laughs) to the top. So, So if you want to see another human's tongue really close up, you got to go see that Rand Paul's people licking licking camera lens.
2: Why? I mean, of all the things you could have done. Yes. did you where did you think I'm gonna lick the lens I'm lick the lens here we go this is gonna go this is gonna be so great <laughs> did he not realize that the camera was filming yeah I think he did realize it was filming did he not realize that we would then see his tongue lap up a lens
1: yeah the headline sounds really cool though it sounds like a, a trailer for a summer film you know a blockbuster well, what would that what would the name of the film be um, Lens Licker Lens liquor. This summer Rand Paul's aide Takes everything Into his own hands One lick at a time Decides he needs To take it on himself To stop the filming See
3: One <laughs> no! Against all odds I mean you know how Secret Service Have to take a bullet Yes Well there's a they have to be willing idea, to. yeah you're willing to there you go that's the but this guy way. had to be
2: willing like did he' put in his contract I am willing to lick a lens I for will you. lick a lens for you <laughs> I mean seriously Rand I will lick a lens if I have to
3: you hope he's on I think he's on the New Hampshire kind of organizing committee for yeah. Rand Paul you'd hope he gets kind of promoted for you that. know what that Maybe guy. you know
2: if Rand Paul wins he will be the speaker he'll be his uh, press secretary Really, he'll the just, lens licker. He'll be the lens licker. He'll lick everyone's lens. <laughs> Jimmy, we need this lens licked over here. It's just kind of gross. <laughs> That's pretty classic. But a closed event, you should know. If the event is closed, your camera will be licked.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, in other news, North Korea's defense chief, Hyong yong chol Who? who? Hyung yong chol Why do you make me do that? Come again? Has okay. reportedly been executed with an anti-aircraft gun for disloyalty. Whoa. What he showed disrespect to leader Kim Jong-un. He fell asleep during a meeting and then he uh, mouthed off to the the ultimate most gracious leader, whatever he calls himself. So he was disloyal An anti-aircraft he talked back gun and he fell asleep during a key meeting and they used an anti-aircraft gun reportedly in front of what is that like a 500,000 caliber gun? Something like that. Okay. Really? That's it, it's, crazy. Yeah, way too much. This is reported by South Korea's Yonhap News Agency, Oops. so this is coming from a source, Un- not from just rumors. Believable, but yeah. So they, uh, he'll kill. He, yeah. He's killing his people. Yes, and there's reports that there's many, many people he has he has killed in the last few months. Wow, going along. Just he, be grateful he, you're in America. For that's that's says. how he re- keeps power. Is he keeps uh, keeps some fear out there that he's going to do whatever he wants and people will follow him so geez <sighs> that's scary i by the way if you guys mouth off to me or fall
2: asleep <laughs> i won't shoot you with a 50 caliber lens okay thank you i've a 50 caliber gun i will lick your lens though gross i just right then right when i said lens Did you i was, see it? i saw it that's just gross just nasty <laughs> by the way yeah use your words <laughs> <laughs> don't. That's what my mom would say. Use your words, not your tongue. You don't need to lick. Each other. You've done that with your brother. Like if you want to have, if you want to have the last cookie, you just lick it. Nobody goes near it. Gross. That's how you win. It's how you win. One lick at a time. It's hour number one, folks. It's in the can. It's the Matt Townsend show. We'll be back. Hour number two. More ideas to help you find the good in the world. Right here on BYU Radio.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the
0: show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr.
0: Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Your coach, Dr. Matt, here, your guide, trying to do what we can. Every day, we give you the tools To find the good in the world and really to build your best life ever. Today is no exception. We'll be talking today to a wonderful guest. We've had her on before. Uh, Karen Dillon will be joining us. She's one of the co authors with Clayton Christensen in the book, How Will You Measure Your Life? Now, Clayton Christensen is a renowned uh, Harvard business professor. And uh, Karen Dillon and Clayton put together the book that really gets you to look at the tough questions of life. Mainly, how are you going to measure your life? Have you thought that through? Uh, I'm going to measure it by how many feet of chin that I have lost while shaving.
3: You're on your way. (laughs) You've made great progress this morning.
2: I took off a good (laughs) pound of flesh today. I shave in the shower, which you guys don't understand. Or do. Or do. Right. But it's otherwise, you have to get out and look at yourself.
3: I just you shaved before. I know. But you, do you look in the mirror? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of... You don't want to look at
2: yourself? Why? I'm with myself all day. Why would I want 10 minutes of just looking at myself?
1: You're not looking at yourself all day, though. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> well,
3: maybe That's there's the problem. your problem. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is the problem right there.
2: No, uh, it's, it's more efficient. I brush my teeth and I shave in the shower. I also watch movies mm-hmm. and
1: make breakfast.
3: Right there in the shower. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I blow dry
1: my hair in the shower. I used to until the accident. Oh, <laughs> that's what happened. We learned on the show yesterday that electrocutions actually make you dumber. Yeah, yes. it, it lowers your IQ. Yeah,
2: yeah. Okay,
1: that once. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's
2: happened. All once. it takes is once, which yeah. also explains the chin problem, because I'm not focused enough. Whatever you guys don't understand what it's like to be me.
3: Next time you do one of your TV spots, mm-hmm. which would tomorrow. be tomorrow, you can get some of the pancake makeup. Oh, I've already got some. Oh, you do. Mm-hmm. You have your own. Yeah, but I do you I apply just, your own makeup or do they have a? I apply a my own. Maybe you can get some help. <laughs> I the problem is now I have a divot. Well, that's what I mean. You need to look in the mirror, but if if you don't want to look in the mirror... I'll
2: have my people look in the
3: mirror. Then you need to really fill that in. It may take time. It's like shining your shoes. It (laughs) takes several weeks of hard work and really putting in the effort... You're not helping here. ...to really get a nice level fill on that divot. I don't mind putting spackle
2: on Mm. my chin. I mind it when we have to sand it. (laughs) The sanding always bothers me because you need
3: a smooth... I would use a belt sander because you've made that pretty smooth right there. you got a nice level yeah. edge. You could use that. This is why I'm going to probably need to grow a beard.
2: Except then we found out yeah. what's in beards. And, a lot uh, of bacteria. Have we talked about that on the show?
3: No, because I couldn't figure out a way to stay okay. away We're, from the I, story I, we've of we've how that We've got to works. talk about
2: that. Today, we've got to bring that up.
3: Okay. So I'll bring it up at 9 o'clock. Okay. And I'll do it in a very Clean um, way. friendly way. Let's just say if you've got a beard out there in beard land
2: – Wash your beard. <laughs> Wash your beard, or and, just shave it off, and don't
3: touch your beard all day. Yeah, I think
2: it's because people we'll bring it touch their beards. So yes, much.
3: we'll bring it up. Yeah, we'll discuss it in depth as you are exploring ways to camouflage mm-hmm. your newly my my new injury. It's like a divot. It's like you went golfing. Okay, got it. And you decided move to move on
1: just a divot. The thing is that when you go golfing, in the golf cart, they usually have filler sand. You
3: could yeah, just
2: yeah. replace yeah. your divot. Replace your divot. Why yeah. didn't you do that? Well, That's I was really rude of you. I think my divot, I th- <laughs> you know how like when you divot, you like send a wad of dirt turf. and turf down the, down the fairway. So I have to go pick up my turf. You I should didn't...
1: have picked up your piece of chin yeah. and put it back. My chin piece. Yeah. Replace your divot.
2: Okay. Got it. Man. Rude.
3: Anything going on in the world other than my chin? Yesterday, uh, the U.S. and Russia emerged from their most extensive high-level talks in years, vowing closer cooperation on Ukraine and Syria. Were they hugging? But unable to point to any breakthroughs or new approaches to bridge the major differences separating the two powers.
2: So they had a great meeting, one of the biggest of all time, and they can't think of one thing that they did that actually shows that they're I don't know if it was
3: one of the biggest of all time. Biggest in recent. They said biggest in recent memory.
2: Well, recent memory would be... You know, I guess
3: the last since Hillary Clinton was secretary of state. It would have been bigger if the president met with Vladimir Putin yeah, instead of the secretary of state. But this is one of the bigger ones in years. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of tension. There's tension between the countries, yeah. between the governments. Um, the atmosphere was cordial. The tone was promising as U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry held eight hours of talks with your favorite and ours, President Vladimir Putin. Vlad. And his foreign minister in the Black Sea Resort of Sochi. Which, where the Olympics were held, uh-huh. and they may have been using some abandoned uh, Olympic venue. Yeah, I wonder town, if though. they
2: competed, because Vlad it likes a good have. competition. Could
3: have done some skating hey, or want something. to
2: uh, throw the javelin?
3: It's Kerry's first trip to Russia since uh, U- the Ukraine crisis began, coincided with the 70th anniversary of the Allied defeat of... Uh, Nazi Germany, both sides, held the virtues of the U.S.-Russia engagement. This is a, a great time for us to be together. Yes. Yes, we're talking. And they, You know changed. what they need to do is hit the reset
2: button. Mm. Isn't that what Hillary did? And then in saying that, she offended the Russians. Oh, that's right.
3: Russians. That's right. She, I saw the picture. I didn't know what that yeah, was. That was it. She offended she the Russians
2: because it was
3: more like, we need a do-over because you're messed up button. According to, <laughs> to a fresh survey. Yes, fresh. By the uh, respected... Lavda Center, which is a, an independent from the government think tank in Russia, right? They do polling of the population. They, they make uh-huh. specific point that this is independent. Allegedly independent. 59% of Russians now see the United States as a threat. That's up from 47% in 2007. Of course, of those, 31% believe in the possibility of a U.S. military invasion and occupation of Russia. Wow. Really? That's what it says.
2: Do they not get that we can't even invade Texas without a big brouhaha?
3: Right. We tried.
2: So how could we ever invade Russia?
3: Absolutely. But they feel an invasion is Mm. possible. A report written by the deceased Russian opposition leader Boris Nezmanov estimates now I believe he's the uh, gentleman that was shot outside the Kremlin. If you remember that a few months yes. back, yes. Oh, yes. He, uh, his, he's doing this report. It estimates the conflict with Ukraine has cost Russia more than fifty-five billion dollars. According to the report, the annexation of Crimea was the most costly endeavor, ringing in a total of fifty-three billion. Support of the Ukraine war cost an extra billion dollars, and taking care of refugees from the war-torn regions an extra 1.5 billion for the grand total of 55 billion dollars. Wow! For Russia to take this part of uh, the Ukraine.
2: Interesting.
3: Yeah, I found that that number big for uh, the, the small amount of land it is. Yeah, it's just kind of a it's peninsula a of, island sort yeah. of. It's a lot of move piece of land, so they're going after that. Uh, a new study from the Proceedings of National Academy of Science's Journal found the significant correlation between politicians' favorability ratings and how often they say pleasant words connoting cooperation and general niceness. So the nicer the words are, as a
2: politician, the more people think they're nice.
3: Yes. Well, duh. Studying the speech habits and approved polls of members of the U.S. House of Representatives, Mm -hmm. the researchers... Determined that the individual words, the individual's words used most strongly predicted public approval were as follows. Okay. Gentle. Hold on. I got to write these down. Gentle. Gentle. Yes. Involve. Yes. Educate. Contribute. Concerned. Give. Tolerate. Trust. And cooperate. Those are the words. These are the words that give you the highest approval rating based on language. In people's minds i well, I like
2: their gentle uh, and educated review of the words <laughs> seek to involve as many as I can
1: in a tolerable way it seems very giving of you kind of makes me Thank you. Feel
3: more trusting of you. you feel more involved? Yeah,
1: because yeah. like we're cooperating mm-hmm. to make a, a I trust, great show. I trust you too. Yeah,
3: there we go. We're now favorable. The study also noted that politicians can expect more favorable news coverage if they say nice things, oh, though man. the effect takes about six months to kick in for some reason. It's yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like an antibiotic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it takes some time. You know what? You can just see a politician spending all of this time. Okay, so what words am I supposed to use again? Yeah. Hey, Larry, say gentle a lot. If you say gentle and educate, people well, are happy
3: with you. There's talking points that each know, side accuses the other of having. Just so. get results. Then we'll trust you. They'll talk nice. It's all about your words. It has nothing to do about what you're doing in the office. It's about talking nice
1: while in the office. Yeah, politicians don't actually have to walk the walk. Are you kidding?
3: <laughs> they just talk the talk. By the way, leave me that list because I need to Yeah, that, that may come up with our words. guest in the 9 o'clock hour. Yeah, for sure. When this it comes is to language, uh, and this I found interesting, a, China, a, a theme park in China called the World or the Window of the World has a new attraction that some are just dying to ride. What? It's a four D death experience. Wow, four D. Yes, it's wow. designed to give the riders the sensation of being dead, cremated, and reborn. First, the visitor goes on a journey through a morgue. Next, they are placed in a casket and put on a conveyor belt for cremation, which is simulated by a sudden blast of hot air over the rider to simulate flames. The (laughs) air reaches temperatures up to 105 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow! The attraction also uses flashes of life to give the rider an authentic experience of burning. Finally, an image of... Hold it. (laughs) Authentic? No. (laughs) Hold it. An authentic experience of burning. I think burning is more
2: about, less about the light.
3: More, and the more pain? just
2: about the nerves withering
3: under right. the heat. Finally, an image of a womb is projected onto the ceiling, and riders must crawl until they reach a white padded room where they are reborn. Uh, the writers, the ride creators, went to great lengths to make the experience as accurate as possible by visiting a real crematorium and lying inside the incinerator. They've also visited 14 wombs. Yes, because it has to be authentic.
2: <laughs> Honestly, are you kidding? Where is this?
3: It's in China. Holy cow. I got to get there. (laughs) Well, I I don't know if you want to do that. That One one last story. People have tried to open plane doors in China 12 times over the last four months.
2: Well, they just don't know that it's how to stop the airplane.
3: Commercial flight has been open more to bigger groups of people in the country because of the middle class growing. They have money to fly. They don't understand the concept, and so they 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 fear people are afraid, and they go to open a door because they just want to get out. Oh, that's just... <laughs> so they're freaking out. They open the door while it's taxiing or in flight and causing problems. Maybe what they need to do
2: is instead of having the crematorium, they need to just show what would actually happen if you opened the door that was my on idea. an airplane. And just suck them out. Boink! Wow. Man, aren't you grateful to be an American? Where you don't need to go mimic burning in a... Anyway Hey just a rule though We do have a rule I put this on a meme Do not open the doors While flying Could cause problems Folks we're taking a break When we come back Karen Dillon will be joining us She's been on the show before Wonderful guest uh, Past editor of Harvard Business Review And um, also one of the Co-authors of the book How Will You Measure Your Life Which was written with Clayton Christensen Uh, and James Allworth. Wonderful book. We're going to be talking about purpose in life and how do you measure your life? How do you measure everything that you have done? Because how you measure it's going to determine really what you're going after. We'll be talking about it up next with Karen Dillon right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, at the end of your life, how are you going to measure what you did? Will it be the number of people that gathered around your grave, the people who will miss you, the money you left in the bank, the money you've given away? Or maybe you just went out with a big bang, skydiving with a panther, (laughs) or something like that. Uh, Did you ever consider measuring your life by business theories? In a book that she co authored with Clayton Christensen and James Allworth, Karen Dillon has done just that. Karen, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Actually, welcome back.
0: Glad to be back, Matt. Thank you for asking me.
2: You bet. In fact, it was in our last discussion we talked about this book. To me, you've got a really wonderful position. Uh, You were a past editor of Harvard Business Review, a deputy editor. Are you still an editor
0: there? No, I'm a contributing editor, but I'm not on staff anymore. Now
2: you're retired. You know, at the beach. I am beach.
0: retired. I am retired from the classic version of doing work from a nine to five job. That's good.
2: You deserve it. But you oh, also you. had the privilege of working with uh, incredible people like Clayton Christensen, one of my great uh, icons. He's just such a he's such an insightful man. But together, you along with James All uh, Allworth put together, and Clayton put together this book on how you will measure your life. Now, just talk about talk about the book. What what are we supposed to understand? I mean, most of us don't ever ask these questions about how our lives are going to be measured, do we?
0: No, I think, I mean, I think that's one of the key points of the book. It's not something that most of us even take the time to think about. And maybe it seems like the kind of thing you'll only want to think about at the end of your life. Um, But I guarantee you, most of us will be disappointed by what we conclude about how our life has measured out if we don't stop to think about that question well before we're at the end of our lives.
1: Mm, So true.
2: So teach us the, um, the strategies. What are some of the things we should be paying attention to?
0: Well, I think having the idea of asking yourself that question first is really, really important. Do you have an answer for that question? If I asked you, how would you measure, how will you measure your life? Do you even know how to answer that seriously? We yeah. should probably all toss things off. You know, We're going to say all the cliche things that we know we're supposed to say. We're all going to want to have lots of friends at our bedside when we die. or You know what you said, go out with the bang. We'll, we'll think of great ways to feel good in that final moment. But the question is really, is that enough? Is that all that you will measure your life by those final few moments? Or does it need to add up to something more that you've done on purpose with your life? Does your life need to have had some purpose? And I think if you don't, stop and ask yourself that question, life is just kind of going to float you down the river and you may or may not like where you end up.
2: Well, and in a weird way, it seems like if I don't know the answer to that question, then how do I know what to do every day?
0: Right, exactly. It, 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 if you if you begin to ask and wrestle with that question for yourself in a way that only you can answer, my answer may be different than your answer, and it's not necessarily something that you need to share with anyone, but if you don't have an answer for that question, the choices that you make in a day, a week, a month of your life probably will not add up to taking you in the direction of the thing that you say is what will matter to you most in your life.
1: Mm.
2: It, uh, I know that... It's, um... He writes questions on the board, Clayton does in in his class, and I guess there's three questions that he mentions that he writes on the board each semester. Do you know what those are?
0: Um, Yes, I do. And this is the reason that this book came to be was because uh, it's important to know why he writes those questions. Clayton himself was a graduate of the Harvard Business School class of 79 and that particular class was particularly shining there were lots of students who had all kinds of potential and were expected to go on to do great things in life and with their lives one of them for example was um, jeffrey skilling the ceo of enron mm. um and at the time it all seemed possible great lives should be unfolding but clayton started to notice as he went back for his every five-year reunions at harvard business school it's a big event the reunion is something harvard wants to do extremely well so that people do feel connected yeah. do give money that people in the subsequent five year increments, people who had so much potential and seemed like their lives were going to be so fantastic, little by little were either not showing up, and word was, not happy, third divorce, estranged from kids, or would come and admit, you know what, I make a lot of money, but this isn't what I expected to be doing with my life, and they were unhappy. So Clayton decided it was really important to not let that happen to the students he was teaching, not just settle with what went wrong, how could it go wrong for all these high achievers. But so the last class of every semester, he says to his students, I want to apply the best thinking we've had in this class, not to your careers, but to your life. Hmm. And those questions are the most important questions that he asks is, how will I find happiness in my career? How will, how will I find happiness in my professional life? And how can I stay out of jail?
2: <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I mean, really. I I mean... Laugh,
0: But they're, all, they're quite important questions to actually have good answers to and not just find yourself unintentionally ending up in one of those bad places.
2: Well, especially these are guys and gals that have gone to the best school ever. They did nothing but plan to get there. They had to do all of this work to get there. And then it's almost like you kind of finally make it, and maybe then we go on autopilot. We we need to be as intentional with the rest of our lives as it is to get to Harvard.
0: Well, there's a reason it happens. and It tends to particularly happen to high achievers. And I'm sure you have many in your listening audience. People who are high achievers naturally, just that's just their wiring, tend to look for and need fast return on their investment. They yeah. need to feel good about what they do or contribute in, in as fast a way as possible. So when you're looking at the choices of how will I spend this extra hour in my day, am I going to head home to my family. My kids are going to be cranky because it's dinner time. My wife's tired or my husband's tired because we've both been working a long day. You know, I may or may not like being home for the first hour or am I going to get that report into my boss who's going to say, well done, and I know it's going to contribute to my bonus at the, at the end of the quarter, or clear off my desk of all the expenses, get them back. There's something about the more immediate gratification that high achievers are drawn to. So when you have a choice of a just discretionary choice of how do I spend my time this way or that way, so many high achievers just are drawn to the one that gives them faster rewards. It's, it's part of their nature.
2: No, that's but interesting. The one that
0: gives. Okay. Go, no,
2: go, no, go ahead.
0: The one that gives them faster rewards is not the one that's going to make them feel good over time. It's right. the one that's just going to make them feel good right away.
2: Now, is that – okay, tie this for me. Is that the the same business theory about in, – in Innovator's Dilemma, Clayton's other book, about that in business we do the same thing. We worry more about the ROI on the money, but that might be stifling the creativity
0: very similar it is very similar it's it they're both actually i haven't made this connection but you've done a good job of making it they're both saying that we're so focused on immediate returns on everything that we never focus on the long term and the long term is the only way that companies can if companies don't focus on the long term until they're in trouble it's already too late if they haven't made investments that will be long-term investments if they haven't thought about innovating in a way that may take a few years if they haven't thought about well what happens when our most successful product starts to become a little less successful until it starts to become less successful, there are, it's already too late. You yeah, can't done. ramble and suddenly have another blockbuster. That's very similar in your life, too. You can't expect to have long-term returns if you don't invest in long-term. So the long-term things like family and friends, those take a lot longer to pay off yeah. for you, but they'll be there for you for a lot longer.
2: And they seem to build the deeper roots, too, don't they? They take your life deeper because you're not trying to you know, cash out every day. You're trying to build the long play.
0: Well, I I believe strongly, and it's Clay's belief as well, that the single greatest source of personal happiness for anybody is our long-term personal relationships with friends and family. That the difference between how that pays off in our lives over a long period of time and any short-term situation is enormous. And Mm. if you don't have long-term investments in friends and family, you will miss something really wonderful throughout the course of your life.
2: That's so good. Oh, my heavens, Karen. How fun for you.
1: To just because life
0: changing. It was more than fun to work with. Yeah, Clay was was a gift. It's it, he's this sort of incredibly lovely man who happens to be really brilliant and <laughs> profound at the same time. And I just considered it a gift to be catching the pearls of wisdom from him and having these conversations.
2: You bet. And and then and two, you also sat as as an editor, hearing every other brilliant person share their ideas as well. Wow. Man, Karen, we're, okay, we're taking a break. We're coming back, but I want you to keep teaching us. What uh, What are some more things we need to do when it comes to the questions, how will I find happiness in my career, in my personal life? How will I stay out of jail? It's interesting stuff. All, by the way, from the book, the very simple book, How Will You Measure Your Life? Uh, written by Clayton Christensen and our guest right now, Karen Dillon. We'll take a break. Back with more right here on The Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side.
1: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend.
1: Now on BYU
0: Radio. BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends. We are talking about how will you measure your life. It's an incredible book uh, by Clayton Christensen and Karen Dillon. Together they put uh, the book together. Also, James Allworth was also an author on the book. It's really about making sure you're very clear in how you want to measure your life and how you want to contribute. Is there something that I can leave the world that is bigger than me? You got to answer the question, folks, because if we don't, how will you know how to live day in, day out? Instead, we just live a life maybe of quiet desperation Trying to figure out if we're actually making a difference. Joining us again is Karen Dillon. She's the editor or was the editor or is the editor of the Harvard Business Review Guide to Office Politics and the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, How Will You Measure Your Life? She's only one of uh, five people selected for the Harvard Business Review designated high potential leadership cohort development program. That's a big deal. And uh, we're honored to have Karen with us to teach us some more. Karen, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Matt. Uh, and congrats on being one of the uh, the those chosen to be in the leadership cohort. High potential. Well, I
0: think the interesting thing to say about that is not that I was chosen, but that I chose to walk away from that because of working with Clay on this book. Did exactly. you really? Yes, I did. I was I was the editor of Harvard Business Review. Uh, and really just looking for an extra article to fill a double issue that we had coming up for a july august summer issue a few years ago and i was casting around for any old idea basically something different extra issue it's a little thicker than normal and i had heard that clayton gave an interesting talk to his students that the students had found profoundly motivating the graduating class that year it was two thousand ten had chosen him as the as the person to address them in their final group session. And students just told me he had said something that was really inspiring. I didn't really know too much about it other than great Clay Christensen, good name. Let's figure out what that commencement address was and figure out how to put it in the magazine. I walked into his office with a little digital recorder and a kind of hurry up agenda and about an hour later, I walked out of his office, and my mind could not st- stop thinking about my own life and the choices I had made and was making. And it led to my making a choice about a year later to leave Harvard Business Review and sort of recalculate and recalibrate my the, the purpose of my own life.
2: Unbelievable. I mean, and who does that? You know, you don't walk away. Come on, you finally made it big. <laughs> but yeah, it was. I think
0: it- I walked. Too, I didn't walk away. That's I right. walked to something that was That's far right. more important. To
2: you walked toward your purpose. Your, So it, it, he's, it, and this theory, this idea has impacted you in a in a truly real way. This isn't this isn't hype.
0: I don't think it's hype at all, and I think anyone who takes the time to try to answer the questions of yourself that, you're, that the book is asking, basically, um, should, should end up having some pretty important soul-searching moments with themselves. And, and for me, the big thing was at that moment, uh, one of the questions was if he had, if he had asked me what was the most important, he probably did, most important thing to me in the world, I would have absolutely said my family, no question. Right. But as I walked out of his office and started thinking about, well, how have I spent my time this week, this month, these past years, I realized that if you looked at the choices I was making every single day, they did not tell me or the world that my family was the most important thing to me, and that required a really big mind shift.
2: That's so humbling, isn't it:
0: It's really humbling
2: and yet that's probably why this is not a this isn't a book of answers this is kind of a book of questions isn't it?
0: I think you could say it's the ultimate self-help book because we're yeah. not going to help you. You need to help yourself. Yeah. You, only you can ask and answer these questions for yourself and only you can know if they're genuine answers or, or just the ones you think sound good for the world.
2: But even if you're doing something noble like HBR, you're still uh, – if you're out of integrity with your deepest value, then you're, you're still out of integrity. You will end up suffering.
0: Absolutely. I really believe that. I think I think the reason many people find themselves – I wasn't unhappy with no. my life. I just knew I was not deeply happy with my life, and they're very different things. And yeah. I think people find themselves not happy enough with their life um, in a way that they just accept and they don't necessarily need to.
2: What are some more things that we will learn in the book? It, I mean, I know it's, it's a New York Times bestseller, which isn't an easy thing to do. But um, I have, I've heard many people, and I actually know people that were in that have attended his final class. I mean, it's a big deal on campus, isn't it? Like people gather and they bring their spouses and... Everyone comes... It's a
0: comes... really big deal. It's, I think it's a privilege to be in the class. I've, I've been in that to watch it happen. And Pete, the, all of the students are there. It's standing room only. And many people bring somebody else who matters to them in their life. A spouse, mm-hmm. a girlfriend, a boyfriend. A, I've seen cousins. It's sort of, how who, who else can we cram into this room <laughs> right. so that we can all hear this message? And it's a conversation. He's not dictating anything to anybody. He's asking his students to lead the conversation with him uh, about the thing that's going to be singly most important to them in their own lives. How will they measure their lives?
2: Well, Powerful. Um, what are some more things we learn in the book? What are some other things we need to make sure we're paying attention to?
0: But one thing I think is really uh, easy to overlook, and maybe important to understand, is how we tend to all of us tend to make choices in our career and, and in jobs. Um, people default to making choices for jobs on the things that sound good to other people. The mm-hmm. title, the, na- the company's reputation, do I have a bigger office, did I get a promotion? All those things feel good in, in the short term, back to the theme, but those there, there's been a lot of research that says those are not the things that actually make you happy in your job. They might mean you're not unhappy in your job, but that's different from feeling fulfilled, <clears throat> excuse me, and feeling happy in your job. It's an entirely different set of things. The set of things that does demonstrate to make people happy and feel fulfilled over the long term are things like, do I feel valued by my colleagues, by my boss, am I valued here in this organization? Do I believe in the mission of the organization? Am I being given chances to learn and grow and stretch? Those things are intangible. We call them intrinsic motivators. They're, they're ones inside. But those are the ones that we know most correspond to feeling profoundly happy in your job over time hmm. versus the things that feel good for six months. But you know what? There's probably not, there's, there's not enough money in the world to make you love a job that does not make you happy all yeah. the time. There's, there's a point in which there's been Nobel Prize winning work, um, a Nobel Prize winner. on There's a salary number, I think a few years ago it was 75000 yeah, yeah. above which statistically people were not more happy with. Their job that's right There's, you know if you make enough if you satisfy your basic needs we know that's enough to make you not dissatisfied with your salary so the things that will make you happy are something other than those things
2: yeah those intrinsics do you do you believe that um I could see almost or hear the cynic saying well yeah I mean okay Karen that's easy for you to do because you're a big rich Harvard business person but I'm yeah. a you know I'm a day-to-day guy so I'm only making forty I'm, I dream for seventy five. What what do you say to the $40,000 a year person that's just in the grind?
0: Well, I would, I for sure, I have empathy for that. I'm not a big rich Harvard person, for one, but um, I do. But I I think it's important to to get as many of those motivational factors in your job as possible. If you're not, if if your money doesn't meet your basic needs, you're probably not really going to be happy. There's a basic level at which you have that you have to. We call it hygiene factor. It has to satisfy the basic needs in your your life, and if it doesn't, that is a problem. But if you're close, or you kind of can at least cover your life. The things that are going to make you feel so much better about getting out of bed in the morning are all these other intrinsic things. You know, do you do you care about the mission of the company you work for? Do you feel valued and respected? You know, do you, do, do people believe enough in you to give you chances to, to shine and grow? And if those things aren't happening, it's probably not just the money that's making you unhappy. It's probably something far more fundamental, and, and that's something you can look to change.
2: And that, Karen, is might explain why some people are so happy in their job. So you can also use these principles to validate why you're doing so well because you you may already have just figured out that you you're finding this intrinsic value that's coming out of your job even though you're not making more money. You may not be driven by money, but you still love what you do. So you it also could answer why you're so passionate
0: it's a, it's a good explanation for we all know people who are teachers or work for nonprofits or people in the military. for whom Clearly, their job is profoundly meaningful for them, and that rubs off on everyone around them. That's not explained by money. None of those jobs are or options people choose because of money. There's something else going on, and that explains part of it. It's they are motivated by what they do, not by how much they make.
2: Hmm. Do you um – Do you just sense – because you've now done – you've actually lived the advice. You've asked yourself the questions. You've made the tough decisions. And now that you're kind of in your new realm and area of life, uh, how is it – how are you different because you asked the questions?
0: I hope – my family would say I'm profoundly different because it's very clear to them that they are the priority in my life. I have two teenage daughters and I know them really well and we we have a great time together and I'm very present. I was physically present but now I'm emotionally mm-hmm. present in their lives. It's really important. And the the opportunities for work that I choose now in a freelance basis, I only say yes to things that that have meaning for me, make me happy, put me working with people whom I value and they respect me back. The work I choose is all fulfilling to me because I've I've made that a judgment call on is this, does this fit that criteria or not? And it just has paid off in spades. You know, we don't, my family does not have two cars anymore, we have one car. But I would say we're, you know, multiples happier as a family and in my professional choices as well.
1: It's
2: and and I guess you're free. You know what I mean. You're 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 kind of in integrity. You're you're aligned. Not that you weren't in integrity, but you're aligned to what matters most. So if you if there was a tragedy today, you know how the answer could be.
0: I hope so, I really hope so. I've been working hard at, at being true to that, and uh, it's not easy, and it's not easy for anyone to my path was a more extreme one than many other people may, may choose or need to take. Yeah. And my message is sort of, "Don't get to be me. Don't yeah, get to be.: Don't grow don't up to be Karen. And at the point where it feels like such an extreme choice, work on this sooner. Uh-huh. Work on this, uh, this thing sooner so that you feel happier with the alignment of you know, the way you spend your time and energy and your values with the things that really truly matter to you.
2: When you look at a guy like Clayton Christensen, it almost just seems like he kind of does more naturally stuff that the rest of us just have to seriously work on. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? He's just – he's just – I don't know, calmly – maybe it's just because he's so intellectual. I don't know. But I I look at all the kids that he must be teaching there and I I sit there and I think, oh, I would love my sons to be able to be taught by him. But – you know, not everyone can go to Harvard, but the benefit are these books. And yet, is it, do you just sense that some people do it naturally?
0: I, I do. He's one. He's he's a rare and gifted human being. There's just no question. He's really, truly a special man. And what's particularly special about that is he shares everything that he has and learns and wants to others to know. He gives so freely. And so it is a gift to, to work with him and listen to him and be part of it. He's He's just one of the world's truly, truly good men.
2: Wow, and uh, talk about your other uh, your other author was James Alworth.
0: James Alworth was a student in Clay's class. Um, that uh, he actually was in the lecture that, oh, was uh, that students told me about being so profoundly moving. It was especially moving that time at that moment because at that time Clay was bald and and in remission from yeah. the same kind of cancer that had killed his father seven years before. So Clay standing on a stage and talking to students about answering the question, how will you measure life, was was just a truly profound moment. And so James was a top student. He was what they call a Baker Scholar at Harvard Business School. And he found the message moving. And I found it moving personally. And we just all aligned to try to write a book from the perspective of three different generations, three different religious perspectives. It was really powerful to have yeah. three very different people come to the same place in this Side, this message was extremely important.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. And because it's it's so principle based, it transcends all these different religions and approaches um, to life. We've got a, just a couple more minutes. Again, we're talking with Karen Dillon, who with Clayton Christensen uh, and James Allworth, they put they wrote the book, How Will You Measure Your Life. Um give us kind of uh just a, your your favorite memory of putting the book together and um just the one point that you think, Karen, we all need to make sure we we walk away with before we go get the book
0: my, I, my all of my memories of being in the room with Clay and James together and having discussions that led to the book were just really happy it was It was the good version of work that I talked about. It was collaborating with people who made me feel valued, who helped me to grow during the process, and whose mission the mission of this project was extremely important to me, so it checked all those boxes. that was just a gift. Huh. Um, I think if there's one takeaway, I would say do what I did in the parking lot of Harvard Business School the first time I talked to Clay about this is ask yourself, if you can think you can answer what the most important thing in your life is, then take a step back and say, okay, I want to actually calculate, look at my outlook or my calendar for the past week, month, six months, year, you know, does, that, does that seem to match every time I had discretionary choices of my time, did I put my energy and time and emotions into that? Um, and if you're honest with yourself, and there's a disconnect, you have to start having a different conversation. That's
2: right, and and have the character to do it.
0: It takes it takes strength of character, but I yeah. can tell you the payoff is far greater when you when you are honest with yourself, and you do start to recalibrate and get it right.
2: Yeah, and, and it's also interesting. It doesn't. You didn't have to disconnect instantly. You could still. You know, you're smart enough. You could build a runway to get out. Um, I
0: took I took a year before I made the decision to go, and I thought about it, talked about it with my husband, talked about it w- professionally with, with my boss, and, and parted in, in a great way that allowed me to continue doing work for Harvard Business Review and other projects. I, I, I made a very sensible choice. It wasn't a knee-jerk right. uh, tur- left turn. It was, how do I write the course here and do it in a way that also works for me in the long term?
2: Wow, well, great stuff. Karen Dillon, we appreciate you. Great work on the book. Again, I highly recommend this is the book you gotta go get Uh, How Will You Measure Your Life Uh, by Clayton Christensen and Karen Dillon and uh, James Allworth also would recommend uh, Karen's other book which is basically Harvard Business Review Guide to Office Politics Um, she's just a busy busy woman but focused and centered also on what matters most to her so so Best of luck to you, Karen. We're going to take a break. My friends, come back and have a little bit of the Coach's Corner up next right here on SiriusXM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, I love uh, having people like Karen on, Clayton Christensen, and, and and that book, How Will You Measure Your Life? Folks, really, in the end, uh, they're finally getting to it as far as the study of happiness and what makes your life worth living. It's not enough to just do a lot and to do more and to just crush yourself with more and more If none of what you're doing is actually aligned to what matters most to you. And I always I always just kind of joke about it with my clients that do you remember who Ken Starr was? I believe it was Ken Starr was the uh, he was the investigator that was, um, you know, asked to go investigate Bill Clinton and all of the scandals that were going on around Bill Clinton and millions of dollars were used with as many investigators as he needed to go in and find the truth, basically, right? Well, if, if somebody invested millions of dollars to investigate your life and they threw down investigators and the, the resources of the federal government and the FBI and the IRS, what would they be able to find out about you? Would they actually be able to have enough evidence to convict you that your, your family is the most important thing in your life? Is there enough evidence that that's where you're spending your time, your money, your energy, your resources? Or would there be more evidence to convict you that, you know, you're, you're not so into what you say you're into? And I mean, I don't ever want to like just make you feel guilty and depressed, but if you if you truly are not aligned to what matters most in your life, it, you don't need to be guilted to do it. The reality is you're going to pay for it, right? Because you are slowly breaking down. Life is hard. It's It's exhausting. Your job sucks the life out of you because you either can't see how it's connected to your bigger picture or it's not. So when we just simply ask a few questions, and there's two that Clayton asked all the time, and here they are. Is there something I can leave the world that is bigger than I am? Is there something that I can leave the world that's bigger than I am? That might be a family. That might be a concept, a book. That might be um, a better community. That might be a safer neighborhood. That might be, you know, being a change maker in your community. And the second question is, how will I measure it? So if what you want to be is somebody that leaves the world better, how are you going to measure that? And we've seen it in Ferguson, right? We've seen it in Baltimore. We've seen it in so many different places. Right now, you can probably see it going on in Philadelphia with that train accident. Everybody, there's, everybody has a call. Everybody has a mission. Everybody has a purpose. And we need to bring that purpose to the game. But do you even know what your purpose is? Do you even know what is the key to your life? What are your essential facts? And I promise, you don't need to quit your job and change everything, but you might. But more importantly, you you might want to just figure out what's your journey here. Why are you here on this great big ball of mud flying through space? And if you believe that you are an agent that could go make something happen, what do you want to make happen in your life? Do you just want to keep reacting to everything that happens to you? Or do you want to grab the reins of this crazy thing and start leading it? And if you think about the most amazing thought leaders, the people you love the most – you know, the people we tend to worship—Jesus, uh, Christ, um, Buddha, Gandhi—these people, Mandela, these people that we respect so much, we revere, Martin Luther King—they they pretty much all recognize they have a purpose. They understood mostly it's an, it's intrinsic. It's driven by a spiritual endeavor, something that's inside of them. And then, thankfully— They worked on it every day. And because they work on it every day, we all benefit and we laud them and hold them up. Now, I don't need 50,000 more of, you know, Gandhis. I just need you to be who you need to be. And we need people in Baltimore to find that purpose and step up and own it and lead. And we need people in Ferguson to lead and we need people in government to lead not just worry about the words you're using, but actually have a purpose and a passion for heaven's sakes, right? Everybody, we need it. And we can keep crying about how, you know, our government leaders may not get it, but do you get it? And if you get it, are you moving the ball forward towards character? Anyway, folks, uh, it's just a great question. How will you measure your life What is the thing that you're going to leave? What is it that if you don't leave your great gift on this earth, that music will never be played? And don't think it doesn't have to be something major. It doesn't have to be a book. It doesn't have to be—you don't need to be the next Oprah. You just might need to be a great, incredible mother or grandmother or friend or neighbor. You might just need to be a really faithful believer in your church congregation or— Somebody that serves in the community. Everybody's got something to bring to the table, folks. So let's all start doing it. So a challenge, there's your challenge. I need us all to start asking, how will you measure your life? What are the most important things in your life? And if I sent Kent Starr after you to investigate you, is there enough evidence that that is number one in your life? If it's your marriage, let's make it number one. If you want to be remembered as it being your family, let's make them number one. It's just a simple question, but folks, it's a question and by the way, it's a question that that's really a question that'll be answered down the road. And that perspective of down the road really is going to help you grow deeper roots today. Coach's corner, over and out, my friends. We're going to take a break. Hour number 2. It's in the books. This is the Matt Townsend show. We'll be back next hour.
0: This is the Matt Townsend
1: Show. Your guide on the side. Follow
0: Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show
0: at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Top of the morning to you. Welcome to the program, my friends. The show where we give you the tools, the ideas, give you a leg up in life. It's not enough to just, you know... Get the news. Sometimes you need to know what you're going to do with it. Uh, that's the goal of the show. Help you find the good in the world. And by the way, um, we got some news today that's going to shock you. If you grow facial hair, stay tuned. They always joke at BYU that, you know, you're not supposed to grow beards. You don't grow beards here. Everyone always thinks we're the laughing stock of the world. Today, we're going to tell
3: you why. <laughs> why we... Why BYU is the laughing stock or why we're not or why – you didn't explain that well. Today we're going to tell you why. We're going to tell you we're why. We're going to tell you why you, sh- you <laughs> got to watch out for beards. They could be dangerous. They
2: could be seriously nasty dangerous. That's why I'm not going to grow. I, I could grow a great beard. Really? Minus the chin.
3: Right. I'd It'd lost. be kind of lopsided. You have to grow one side out a little further because you took that huge yeah. chunk out of your – some people don't know there.
2: but earlier today I had a major shaving accident. I looked like you know I had stitches. <laughs> I almost needed stitches. I hit an artery mm. the chin artery by the way is the most dangerous
3: artery it is a it's a major artery it felt like it <laughs> it, it feeds the blood flow squirt, to your face squirt yeah squirt. you can you can bleed out in a matter mm. of weeks if you don't take that
1: get that taken care of
3: no you, it's so true if it wasn't for blood we, clotting, it would be
1: horrible, yeah yeah. It yeah. would never stop. <laughs> it's almost like you're mocking me.
3: A little bit.
4: <laughs>
2: well, you guys don't ever have a shaving accident?
1: Nope. Uh, <laughs> no, not really. Well, I have an electric shaver, so it's really hard to yeah, like, I actually cut yeah. your face. I mean, a lot of real men don't use electric shavers because their hair
2: is so coarse and stuff.
1: <laughs> Did I say electric shaver? I mean, it's more like a lawnmower oh, yeah. for my face. I have a
3: machete that I use. So. <laughs> Really sharp. I was shitty. in the jungles of Borneo and I thought this would be great to shave what a, with. Yeah, I use a serrated steak knife.
1: There you go.
2: <laughs> I pull my hair out one hair at a time. <laughs> I pluck I pluck my beard.
1: Ugh. You see, that doesn't sound as manly, that you pluck your beard. I know, it sounds bad. Except, yeah. have you ever plucked a beard? No. Try it. I don't have five hours to, yeah, I to have...
3: kill, so. <laughs> oh, but You do. <laughs> you do. Go pluck your beard. It'll take forever. You pluck your beard. It's a lot safer. You start the show with or the hour with top of the morning. Top of the morning to you, which is interesting. Thank you. Because today is National Leprechaun Day. Oh. <gasps> James, this is your day. It's my day. <laughs> it ties in. It's too. magically delicious. Yes. So get some Lucky Charms. It's National Leprechaun Day. <laughs> but as as are the uh, the case with many of these of the days. Uh-huh. The origin is mysterious and doesn't really attach to anything or anyone. Leprechauns are mysterious. They're said to be masters of practical jokes. Uh Usually portrayed in green suits and hats. James, their main occupations. What are the occupation of the uh, the leprechaun according to folklore?
2: I think according to folklore, they are uh, transit
3: workers that drive (laughs) trucks or Mm. drive buses. That is incorrect. What? They're shoe cobblers.
1: Oh. They
3: mend shoes and time-making.
1: Oh, really? So are, they uh, fix I, watches. I
3: would say they fix watches and they're shoe cobblers. I did not know that. Some consider these little creatures as evil spirits or fallen fairies, which are neither bad nor good. By the way, both descriptions of James. Yes. They have a hidden pot of gold, of course, at the end of the rainbow. If you capture the leprechaun, uh-huh. you get his pot of gold. Do you have a pot of gold, James?
1: Um. Uh, maybe
3: her, her name is Kaylee. Yep, she's gold. Yeah, he was me. a treasure. He'll get how to do that later. He's okay. kind of new at the whole marriage yeah, thing. Yeah, he didn't know. Like right then, always. Yeah. Here's just a okay. Rule. Okay. Okay. try. Try again. Fact,
2: take a note. Okay. Take a note
3: on this. Okay. Um,
2: whenever you get a chance to keep going. Yeah, you're typing the note. Yes, I am. Whenever you get a chance, always take it back to your wife and how incredible she is. Always honor her, praise her. So I, I teed it up yep. with the idea, James, do you have a pot of gold? Sure do, Matt. It's my wife, Kaylee. See? There you go. By the way, that was a dramatization. Yes, you that can That was a mix of taking a note and a dramatization. Brought to you by Lucky Charms. <laughs> They're it's...
1: magically delicious. Ring. There you you know, it, why, why are
2: we the only ones having fun?
1: I don't know. It's, it's Everyone else is looking day. at us
2: like, you guys are weird.
1: Come on. In other
3: news. Okay. I guess we're done with that, James. Yes, we're done with that. Send that, that note. note, though. Send the memo. Uh, I will do. The U.S. House of Representatives set to vote on the USA Freedom Act today. Is that good? Uh, well, it depends. A bill that, see, usually when you see the word freedom in something, I question just how much freedom it's going to allow. <laughs> Just, that's how I'm cynical, and it's how things look. But it's that's a why bill, you use the word patriot. It's a bill that seeks to stop the NSA from collecting the metadata of all U.S. phone calls. But why? Do you want to be tracked with everything you do, and yes. just have it dumped into a computer system and I don't accessed think, if they need to? I find don't out? care
2: if the NSA tracks me. I just want to be able to when I can't remember something or I lose it. I want to just be able to call them and have
3: them tell me what it was. That's not the system. It's not? No, you can't call them and have them access it for you. Let's
2: say I can't find a text message that I need. Can I call the NSA and they would then
3: direct me? They're not working for you in that Well, who are they working for? They're trying to collect all the data they can so they can sift through it and find a bad guy. Okay. But the problem is is they pick up all of your communications (sighs) and the worst thing you do is you cut half your chin off shaving. Yeah. So I talked about it on my text all day. Right. The White House announced its support for the bill, which faces a two-pronged opposition from civil libertarians who consider it insufficient, and the GOP Senate leader who seeks to preserve the domestic surveillance program. Hmm. Not much to say about that. No. The U.S. Freedom Act would bar bulk collection of domestic phone data under Section 215, which allows for the eavesdropping and collection of all this By the way, stuff that stuff. It used to be my favorite with. section. Right. 215 was a quality section and then it got kind of, you know, hijacked Messed up, all gummed up. While extending the overall all authority another 4 years. While many privacy groups and tech companies backed the bill, several other civil libertarian groups considered it an insufficient step favoring a full elimination of the collection of the data. Huh? The bill and they feel that the bill would leave the vast majority of the NSA's bulk collection powers untouched. So they feel the bill is doing nothing. I like while it. Others are saying it's USA Freedom Act and it's going to solve the or it's going to limit what the NSA can do. Yeah. So those are two sides of the argument. Either way, USA Freedom Act sounds really positive. And free. So watch the news, see what happens, we'll talk about it. Okay, can we get to the real news? The real news. Last week, there was a study conducted in New Mexico yes. found that some men's beards are full of bacteria that you would possibly find in a bathroom situation. Which part of the bathroom situation? Is As full- the, the article I read was you would find the same bacteria on a toilet. Let me speak plainly. Or similar because it's not the same. This is, I'll, I'll, explain, I'll explain after. Go ahead. Okay. So a beard, for example- Men grow beards. By the way, they're becoming very popular. Very popular.
2: Have you watched all of the baseball pitchers? They all have yes. these big, long, nasty beards. Yes. They're finding out that these beards are carrying more than
3: just lunch particles. Possibly. They're carrying – The data they pulled this from is suspect. Go ahead. Oh, you're going to protect the beard girls. The research and study allegedly that was done is suspect. We'll talk about okay. It. Apparently, there's a lot of feces. Not necessarily. In them,
2: their beards. Not necessarily. Oh, my word. Apparently, if you go to your beard, this is the sound you're going to hear.
3: Maybe. (laughs) That was a really long flush. That was good, James. It's not water efficient. They, it's not water efficient. They need to have a more efficient flow. But those, bird, those beards are dirty, like toilet seat. I was reading in The Guardian just before I walked in the room. Okay. And it said, the results from this study that was done in New Mexico... Air quotes. ...are not from an actual study. It was Instead, 12 beards. a TV news anchor mm-hmm. took a handful of swabs from random men's beards and talked to a single, a single microbiologist yes. about what was cultured from them. I think it was 12 people. Yes. Three swabs per beard. But. Feces all around. It wasn't a microbiologist that did the study. It was a TV guy doing yeah. a, sh- a, a thing probably for Sweeps Week. Right. And he comes in, has them test it, and he goes, Yeah, oh, this is what we found in, the, in there. And the guy said he wasn't so – the microbiologist said he was not surprised at the findings <laughs> because what they found was they call it gut bacteria,
2: Ugh.
3: right, which is stuff that's all over the place. Okay, All over our entire existence, this bacteria exists. Really? It's not just – you know something because you didn't wash your hands and then you touched your beard it's the bacteria exists in all all over the place is that gut bacteria it's on the surface of the desk it's on your computer it's definitely on your phone Ooh. it's part of life that's why you need to wash your hands life is dirty so are beard so there was a little overreaction to the story because it made a good headline you and, want to grow a beard don't you yeah I do my wife won't let me I wish uh, I could grow make a beard to be awesome Can't grow a beard? No, not anymore. Nope, I could on half my chin. (laughs) You cut all that off. So when it comes away from it, wash your hands. Your beards could be dirty, but life is dirty. Well, you ruined the story. I did. I'm sorry, but at the same time, why is it you're so needing facts? Facts, factual, factual, factual. We talk about giving tools you can use. You hear the news? How can you use the news? I just let me give you the news. Don't kiss a guy with a beard unless you'll kiss a toilet seat. And that's not exactly the facts. That's but what, yeah, you're trying to if it. you like that story better, we'll go with that story. Okay. Whatever. Let's just do the rest of the show. Okay. Moving on.
2: Moving on. Coming up next, uh, David, David Ludden will be joining us. And uh, he is he's going to teach us about your language. And did you know the words that you speak really can tell you a lot about you? It affects your personality. It affects... Uh, how you kind of move others how others see you but it's a big part of your personality and we're going to find out what we need to know about the words we're using and what it might be telling us about the type of personality we have this is the matt townsend show we'll take a break no need really we didn't mean to offend those with beards or leprechauns today this show is trying to be very neutral but if you see a bearded leprechaun run for the hills this is the matt townsend show back after the break Well, you've probably heard that no matter how much you change your clothes or your shoes, even your hairstyle, the one thing that will stay the same is your personality. But what if you uh, actually found out that your personality may be changing depending on surroundings? Is it possible that the cultures you go to or the languages you use may also alter your personality? It's interesting because some people may already be cluing in on this. If, you, if you're if you pers- a person that speaks two different languages, is it possible that you actually have two different personalities? Joining us to discuss this is Dr. David Ludden, a professor of psychology at George Gwinnett uh, College, and uh, he's here to say, you know what, we might be finding out that our personality uh, adapts a little bit more to our languages that we use. Dr. Ludden, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show.
5: Hello. How are you, Matt?
2: Great. Great to have you on the show. Talk about your research. Is it true that our personalities change depending on the language?
5: Well, uh, that's what some of the research has found. uh, When we look at people who are bilingual and we uh, give them personality tests in both of their languages, they tend to have personalities that are more like sort of the the cultural norms or the stereotypes of the language that that they're currently using.
1: Interesting, because
2: didn't it used to be the belief that your personality was, was pretty uh, static, it was it was permanent?
5: Yeah, well, that's been a long debate in psychology, really going back about 100 years as, as to whether personality is something that's very static, that either uh, kind of sets in early childhood or something that you're born with, versus the view that your personality can change over the lifetime and even from situation to situation.
2: Now, there's different, mm-hmm. I guess, traits that go with personality, and I know that you've talked in your article mm-hmm. about five core traits. What what right. are those traits, and, and what, right. what, do you, what do you mean right. by traits and personality?
5: Sure, sure. Yeah, well, well. first of all, um, I'd like to point out this is one of many different theories that are out there. There is no one set right. theory on personality, uh, but uh, the uh, Big Five model is probably the currently most used personality model in research these days. And it's it's easy to remember because it has the OCEAN acronym. So the first one is openness, which is your openness to new experience, how imaginative you are, um, uh, how much you invite change and and adventure in your life. Um, Conscientiousness is really how self-disciplined you are, how neat and orderly you keep your environment, how punctual you are. Um, and, and notice when we're talking about these traits, we're talking about how, how, we're not talking about different personality types. We're talking about each person can vary on each of these hmm. different factors. Yeah, they're like a scale, right? They're like a scale. There are five different scales. Um, the third one would be extroversion. That's how outgoing you are. And so if you're a really outgoing person, we say that you're, you know, you're highly extroverted. If you are what we call an introverted person, we say that you're low on extroversion. You, you kind of tend to spend uh, more time by yourself. You prefer being, being alone more. Um, agreeableness is the fourth one, and that's how trusting you are of other people and how helpful you are of other people hmm. or you know how how willing you are to help out or how much you want to help out and the last one has, is called neuroticism, and it has to do with emotional stability. so some people are pretty much on an even emotional keel from day to day, and other people have pretty high fluctuations in their uh, in their emotions hmm.
2: So those are supposed to be fairly stable traits, right?
5: Uh, that's the original Theory. way that, that it's thought about. It, is that, In that, and, and fact, the, the argument is that they are genetic, so you're actually born with those traits. That is, that those are, that the five different traits, As you, you have a sort of a set level for each of those five um, that's set by, supposedly by your genes, and it's also believed to be universal because the Big Five model has been tested in a lot of different countries, and we keep coming up with these same five hmm. uh, factors that seem to determine personality.
2: And yet, what you're finding too in the studies are the fact that my culture, or if I'm if I'm bilingual and in, in using a mm-hmm. different language that mm-hmm. than maybe is my primary language or culture, it right. actually I will adapt my personality and my openness, my conscientiousness, my extroversion mm-hmm. to that culture.
5: Yeah, that's right. And, and adapt is good. It's not not that you totally change your personality from one language to another, but that um, if you are um, you know, maybe not all that introverted um but uh say in, in spanish okay mm-hmm. uh, but uh, um but when you're speaking English, you might feel that you're a bit more extroverted because in American culture, extroversion is is, is supreme uh, a very po- it's very positively yeah. regarded, but that's not true of all cultures some cultures will will uh value a person who knows how to to remain quiet, yeah, and,
2: uh, like right. Asian cultures for example exactly. might might right. be more you know valuing right. the quiet. Uh-huh person that is a great exactly. team member versus right. the individual.
5: Uh-huh. Right, and so you have cultural values and you have cultural stereotypes as well. That's sort of what we're talking about. Hmm. It's certainly not true that all Asians are quiet and all Americans are talkative, but those are the stereotypes, yeah. and they, they sort of reflect cultural norms.
2: And then you call that frame-shifting. Is that what you call that, cultural frame-shifting? Well, frame shifting?
5: called cultural frame-shifting, um, and the idea is that, that language and, and culture are like two sides of the same coin. So culture is your... Is is sort of the kind of the worldview that a group has. It's it's sort of accepted ways of of interacting with other people and dealing with the world. And the language that the group uses um, helps convey that or helps convey or or, or work with that worldview. So each language is going to be structured somewhat differently, and and the the structure of the language and the vocabulary of the language is going to reflect the the, uh, cultural values.
2: It's really an interesting thing. I'm supposedly bilingual. Because I I lived in Argentina for two years. I was fluent Uh in Spanish. And Mm -hmm. I noticed that it does – I mean my personality was was different in a way. I noticed even in the Spanish language, I felt like I could communicate things differently than I could in the English language. Mm -hmm. But it's Mm -hmm. really fascinating to think that if I'm more of an introvert, let's say, living in the United States, I could go Mm -hmm. to China – and culturally actually have a culture and a language that might actually suit me better personality-wise? Is that possible? Uh, than than my own country?
5: I, I think that's that's sort of what I've experienced as well, because I would consider myself more of an introvert, and during the time that I've spent in Asia, I I've, uh, I've felt uh, that, that my uh, desire not to be very talkative has, hasn't really, you know, been a hindrance to me yeah. in the same way that in the United States I sort of have to Uh, act extroverted, whether I feel like it or not.
2: Interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's fascinating research. Again, we're talking with Dr. Mm -hmm. David Ludden, and he's from Georgia Gwinnett uh, College and is teaching us about how our personalities are tied to our culture and our language. Is that, when you look at it, uh, Dr. Ludden, is it more, Mm -hmm. um, I'm just performing based on expectation to culture... Versus uh, well, me just actually having that personality
5: well, you see, that gets back to the question of, of what personality is it, yeah. it, um, it, what it, what it seems to be suggesting is is that uh, probably personality traits aren 't uh, quite as stable as we would like hmm. to think that they are um, Kind of a metaphor I like to think of it, is climate and weather, so climate is sort of like overall patterns of uh, of you know temperature and, and precipitation and yeah. humidity. But then, from day to day, and even hour to hour, the weather can change, and so all of us has a certain personality that we tend to be more extroverted or tend to be more introverted. But then, um, a different situation can uh, can cause us to, you know, to increase or, or decrease that particular trait. Yeah,
2: it's that's a great way to do it because the weather can change depending on which where you are. But overall, the climate is a pattern that will remain fairly consistent.
5: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, It it really is fascinating research. Let's take a break. We're talking again with Dr. David Ludden from Georgia Gwinnett uh, College and is also teaching. He's teaching us about, you know, maybe what we think about our personality. Maybe it's not as stable as I mean, stable is an interesting word. Maybe it's not as constant as a lot of us tend to believe, which also to me, I think, is reinforcing because as humans, we're fairly adaptable. And I learned that. I have a son in Mexico right now. And you just learn to adapt. Um, You learn to adapt regardless. uh, and, And that might be a human trait that we should all embrace. We'll take a break, my friends. More on personality and culture up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt
1: on Twitter at Show.
3: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt
3: Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends. We are talking with Dr. David Ludden from Georgia Gwinnett College, and he's teaching us about our personalities and some research that's been done recently that maybe our language uh, and our personalities actually adapt based on the language we're speaking or the culture that we are in uh, dr. Ludd and welcome back to the show and we appreciate you uh, giving us some insight here mm-hmm. what do you um, w- what are we supposed to do? Do with this, because, I, I I mean, there are these social kind of stereotypes, right? There's these. Right. Uh, but in, in reality, too, if you've been in a different culture other than the, I mean, this isn't even just the United States. There are different cultures in the U.S., right? That's correct. So, Absolutely. We're a multicultural country, yes. So my personality could change. And you see it, honestly, with politicians, too, where all of a the sudden <laughs> they'll start talking like they're from the inner city. They're from Brooklyn. Uh-huh. Just because they're in uh-huh. Brooklyn or they're in the south, of so they pick up the accent. Um, is, are they just trying to endear the people or are they – what is that telling us about personality?
5: Well, uh, um, they may be trying to endear themselves to the people, but um, it also does let us know that uh, um – certainly your, your personality does change according to the situation. And, and I think that's a good example because it's really, uh, although the research that I was uh, writing about had to do with how people change their personality when they change their language, it really has to do with a larger issue of how we change our personality depending on the particular situation that we're in and the other people that we're with. We, we do try to get along with other people, and so uh, we're going to uh, – uh, Try to fit in, you know, with the people that we're, that we're working with. Uh, one of the, the uh, studies looked at Chinese English bilinguals, um, and who were interviewed by, by people who were Chinese, who were also Chinese English bilingual, but they were either American or they were Chinese. And regardless of the language they were being used, the uh, the interviewee tended to uh, report more American type uh, uh, personality characteristics. And um, when they were being interviewed with a Chinese person, more Chinese. Uh, personality characteristics, so we are trying to fit in. Yeah,
2: and and it's I've I've even uh, we've had guests on the show that are trying to teach Chinese uh, citizens that come to the United States to work mm-hmm. how to kind of speak and be more American. Right, because uh-huh. because just culturally they you know they might tend to hold back a little bit, you know, keep their place mm-hmm. in the part instead of injecting themselves in. And so it's interesting. We, we kind of do it naturally, and I think we get it. Uh, one of the concepts, too, I'm wondering is as a mm-hmm. as a child, for example, there's a culture in a family, and a child right. might adjust their personality. They might be something out with their friends where they're kind of peers and equal, and they have a different culture right. than they are with their right. mom and dad.
5: Well, sure, and we we change the way that we talk and the way that we act depending on the group that we're with. Certainly, even as children, right? We 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 have one personality at home and a somewhat different personality when we're at school or with with their friends. Hmm. You said.
2: What well, where do you, where does the future of this go? What are you trying to do and and uh, planning for future research?
5: <laughs> well, I think I, I think we can take some things from from what we find here. And this first of all is to understand the idea that that uh, personality is not unchangeable, that as, uh, for one thing, you you, you shouldn't uh, kind of assume that, well, I can't do this or I can't be that way because you know, this is just the way my personality is, so right. certainly if you if you want to change, uh, you can. And I think a lot of this also has to do with the fact that uh, what we're talking about personality as being sort of typical ways of behaving, we're really getting at habits, and certainly if there are habits that you want to change, uh, be more mindful about those habits. And, Being more mindful in what you do as opposed to just kind of working on autopilot uh, can be important as well.
2: And that's important because we also, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of assessments out there that kind of are, you know, personality assessments that you get, and then we kind of keep plugging people for having this certain personality trait. And I guess that could stifle people versus this idea that, you know, personality is unchangeable. It may be more about habits than it is about permanence.
5: Right. Right. And, and and you know that's, uh, you talked about the personality tests, and I think it's a, another good, important, uh, really important thing to keep in mind is that uh, personality doesn't cause your behavior, uh, but mm-hmm. rather personality is a description of your behavior. And so you're, you you don't you're not uh, you don't like to talk to other people because you're extroverted. Rather, we we say that you're extroverted because you like wow, to
2: talk to other people. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's such, it's just so a description just, versus exactly. a
5: diagnosis,
2: <laughs> like a, exactly. a permanent right. condition.
5: Right, exactly. But if you think that way, then obviously you're not even going to try to change.
2: That's so interesting because we we are we're very and again. By the way, look how interesting that is. Our language changes us or, or makes us feel certain ways. And if I mm-hmm. if I say, "Oh, yeah, your personality is this," oh, okay, I guess that's what I'll be then for the rest of my life, <laughs> doomed <laughs> to just be whatever the introvert or the extrovert. huh do right. we do we even need to? When you think about it again, with Doctor Ludden, do you do we it, it, do we need to even understand what our supposed real personality is or is it that we just are
5: dynamic well yeah that you know the, the question that you ask kind of guides the way that you approach the problem um if you if you ask do we do we need to get at what our core personality is you're assuming that there yeah there is, there a, core. is a core person yeah as opposed to uh, saying that it's dynamic i, I personally uh prefer a more dynamic approach, I would like to think that we we can at least within certain boundaries you know change the way that we behave, especially if there are aspects about us that we 're not happy about and that we would like to improve on yeah
2: that i think that 's in a way it 's more hopeful and right and maybe it's it's um it just it's it allows this flexibility right we need some flexibility mm-hmm. in our lives because the conditions are constantly going to be changing that one personality right. style forever mm-hmm. is not probably going to work
5: that's right i think it can also be helpful when we're dealing with other people too because we do have a tendency to assume that people behave the way that they do because of their personality yeah. and oftentimes we don't take into consideration what the uh, what this, uh, the situation was and so if we can think about it, uh, that personality is not something that is you know constant and enduring but sort of changes with the situation that we have yeah. more understanding of why people behave the way that they
2: do. Yeah, that might even be more understanding, I mean, of other cultures, of other groups, exactly. ethnicities cuz right. mm-hmm. it, it it's just it's just their culture. That's right. Mm-hmm. So some might have more bravado or machismo or more whatever, mm-hmm. and more need right. to save face and and it's really it's true when you just look at the kind of the the government or the national or international politics, this is all part of the game, what we can say, what we can't say, our ability to apologize as a country versus not. That's right. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, yeah. I appreciate the work and the insight. I also appreciate the hope, again, um, about our personalities. Dr. David Ludden, mm? we appreciate you. Is there, is there a website or a way that people can get a hold of you if they're interested uh, well, in finding out more?
5: Um, you can visit my uh, my blog on Psychology Today. Yeah, bingo.
2: Psychology Today, and then just look up Dr. David Ludden, L-U-D-D-E-N. Appreciate you, David. Keep up the great work, and for all of the rest of us out there in personality land, we're pretty adaptable. Dynamic might be a better approach to thinking of, of who we are instead of just, ah, you're an introvert, you're an extrovert, you're this, you're that. We're dynamic. We're adaptable. Flexible. Still, go figure out what maybe some of your natural tendencies are or your habits, and let's be willing to change them. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll be talking with our buddies down at Studio B, BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem will join us. We're going to find out what's coming up on their show a little bit later today. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to toss it down to my uh, good friends Spencer and Jerem down at BYU Sports Nation. In they're out there preparing. I know they're studying. They're cramming for their big show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. What are you with, doing? With it. With That's that. an
6: accurate assessment. We it, it's like a test every day once the ten o'clock hour Mountain Time hits.
2: I mean, it is. You always throw us a question, and we have to answer it, and our brains hurt.
6: Does your brain really hurt?
2: Yeah. <laughs> on, on my show, we try not to make our people think very much.
6: That's why it's so successful.
2: <laughs> people like that. People yeah, like to. I want to a part
6: think. of that. I want a piece of a uh, show that I don't have to think much in. Hey guys, uh, happy
2: National Leprechaun Day.
6: Wait, shouldn't that be March seventeenth?
2: You would think so, huh? No, it's it's today.
6: Go Fighting Irish. What was yesterday again?
2: Uh, Yesterday was... Fudge day or something? Yeah, nutty fudge day.
6: (sighs) Who has this calendar? I want to know that. The Matt Townsend Show does.
2: Yeah. We've cornered the calendar market. We're bringing in ideas. That's your niche Uh right there. That's one of our our areas of specialty.
7: As the Apple Watch comes out, the calendar market is booming. (laughs) You know what?
2: We tried to corner, but it didn't work. I was so frustrated. Because we were putting together a Matt Townsend Show theme ride that we could go at one of the parks, just a really great uh, death ride. We wanted to make it.
7: You get like marital advice on uh-huh. like as you round a corner and
2: stuff? Yeah, but it was going to be, it was really, but then we found out a theme park in China. They've put together what they're calling the Samadhi, which is a 4D experience of death.
7: <laughs> of death.
2: Of death, designed to give riders the sensation of being dead, cremated, and reborn in one ride. Who wants that? I have no idea.
7: Mitt Romney does because he's going <laughs> to box the Vanderbilt. Hey,
2: are you It'll guys covering taste. that, by the way?
7: Yeah, we'll be there ringside. So will we. I wish.
2: We're, no, we're sending a team. We have a press pass. You do well, No, you don't. I promise you. That is something I'm not lying about because <laughs> one of our reporters, one of our producers, loves Ann Romney. And so okay. she's going to cover. We we've now we. I thought
7: you were going to say he. I was like, well, yeah, he loves I yeah. It's a little creepy, but just <laughs> go with it.
2: They um yeah no we've actually we've been told through their press that we would get a pass, and we have not yet received the pass, but we are planning on going.
6: I guess that's a benefit of being BYU radio, and, and uh, mm-hmm. with Mitt's affinity for BYU. Yes. And yeah. Okay. I can what, I can see it. What are you hoping to do with that pass? getting um, an interview with Ann Romney.
2: She's hoping to just work it. She's not even going to cover the event. But we are going to get really great audio because we don't do video. So, so we'll get great so audio like, of Mitt getting his head pounded in apparently.
6: Yeah.
7: That's tremendous audio. <laughs> hey, I <have> a question <laughs> for you,
6: Matt. <sighs> what? I know your show has a Twitter account, but did you just launch an individual Twitter or account? Or is it a fake account?
2: No, it's it was a mistake.
6: Did, is this you? Did you really at, do it at marriage? At Matt? marriage, Matt.
2: I have like I have seven accounts, and that was one of the first ones I did years ago.
6: Yeah, but they just followed
7: that account. Just followed us last two days. Yeah, ago.
2: that was me. <laughs> I'm trying. to.
7: It still has the egg.
6: Here's the thing: I you know. need to change the picture. No, no, no. You but have, no, you you I'm not using tweets. it. I know, but I'm not. I'm not meaning you have to use it. Three tweets on this account.
2: I know. I'm not using it. I'm
6: one using was my was new one. Thousand ninety two days ago. Yeah. The second one was. Oh, by the way, that was a great day. days ago. Those are good days and yesterday and the last one was yesterday
2: <laughs> i'm trying to connect that account to my the main account that i'm using but i've i've yet to be able to do that you tweet
6: once every 554 days
2: well those we are,
6: appreciate the garbage follow though
2: those are my big days those are my those are my if i could tell if i had time to tell you what happened on those days you'd, you'd tweet more after. i would you'd yeah but you know i am trying to write books i don't have time to tweet
7: yeah. how many books have you written Uh, two not bad.
2: Yeah, but you know, hey, uh, did did you guys hear about my chin?
7: No, no, because you didn't tweet about it.
2: I cut my chin off today. Off? Yeah, pretty
6: much. Like a part of it, or like some skin, or something. Uh, yeah. yeah, TMI, man.
2: What I, happened? I was shaving in the shower. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh huh. With a really sharp sharp Ginsu knife.
7: <laughs> Just a one edge.
2: <laughs> Just one edge.
6: A Ginsu yeah.
2: knife. Yeah, I got it on a late night. You know, <laughs> infomercial. You all right? I'm fine. Just okay. almost, I didn't need stitches, but I had a bleeder. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought you guys would want to know that. I
7: just all joined right. the Dollar Shave Club.
2: Did you? So I've I'm done trying, that.
7: I'm trying that out.
2: It, it's great. I it,
7: like the Mach 3 razor more because it's heavier. Exactly. But it's nice to have a bunch of blades. Do you have
2: the, do you have the razor that vibrates? No. I do. And that's, I think, it that distracted seems me. It problematic. Well, it made my fingers numb, so I cut my chin off. Mm. Oh. Watch yeah. out for
5: that.
7: Yeah. That's
2: what that's why I have an egg on my Twitter account cuz I don't want you to see my face.
7: There you go. You can always put someone else. Like I have Brian Logan as my Twitter avatar right now. <laughs> you Yet
2: really? you go on TV
6: in Salt Lake City tomorrow. in the television market.
2: I know. I've got to go on tomorrow and I've got this big gaping wound on my chin. <laughs> don't worry about it. Because oh, because I talked to Scott Swafford and he says he's going to send a makeup artist to fill in my gap on my chin. <laughs>
7: <laughs> I was gonna say in teeth to Carol, fill in what's going your gap.
2: My he's gonna fill in my chin on gap. My chin. Hey, uh, what's going on on your show?
6: Well, <sighs> mostly sports content today. Okay, yeah, yeah, we're gonna stick with the sports theme. Okay, <laughs> I'm actually gonna start with what's gonna happen 45 minutes into the show, Matt, because I know you'll appreciate this. Yeah, yeah. We received a poem. Oh, from one of our our uh, avid BYU sports nation members. Cool. Um, she's in her 80s. Her name is Joyce Elder. Excellent. And she, she wrote. An absolutely epic poem about BYU Sports Nation. We're going to read it. Wow. Yes.
2: Are you going to put that on your Twitter account?
6: Oh, it, it will be tweeted out. I can guarantee you that.
2: Tweet, if you f- want, send it to me. I'll put it out on Marriage Mat.
6: Here's, <laughs> nice. Here's a sample from this. Your 98 followers will love it. <laughs> so Jerem
7: foolishly said he would shave his head if BYU beat Gonzaga in <laughs> basketball. Then his head became a ball digger. Muy divertido for us all.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she threw in some Spanish.
7: That's just a taste.
2: This is excellent.
7: Yeah.
2: What a great <laughs> fan, an 80-year-old fan of Sports Nation. Yeah, well,
7: we have, a BYU by
6: Sports Nation. There are we have an 80-year-old not-so-much fan of Sports Nation as well. Yeah, that happened, too. But... <laughs>
2: mm. <laughs> I'll have to tell you about that later. Spencer. So. <laughs> oh, no, are they mad? <laughs> they
7: were mad. they yes, got mad at yeah. me. Yeah. We, well, we've yeah. received a couple letters, which is interesting.
2: You, know, you guys, you letters. know what? You got you got a fan in this guy.
6: Thank you. We appreciate that.
2: Can I Can I borrow your makeup for my chin?
6: Um... Yeah, sure. Yeah, I got some Mac powder you can uh, dab on there.
2: little dab will do you. <laughs> little dab will do you. <laughs> so great. You guys are awesome. Have a great show.
6: Thank you, Marriage Matt.
2: <laughs> Follow him on
6: Twitter. No, you're
2: going to see that disappear. Just go to Dr. Matt Show. At Dr. Matt Show. Do, at okay. Dr. Matt show. Follow Dr. both M- accounts. No, 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 don't. don't. I'm trying to connect them, and I don't want... <laughs> It's too hard. I was so bummed when I when I friended you guys, and then I found out that it was on my other one still. I'm like, ah,
6: (laughs) why? Don't follow at. I'm gonna unfollow you
2: guys now. Yeah, (laughs) I gotta turn it off.
6: Follow the Matt Townsend show.
2: Thanks, gentlemen. You got it, sir. Appreciate you. Have a great show. Wow, I gotta get on that Twitter thing, Michael Pond. Get on that, my friend. I don't. I'm not. I'm not tech savvy. I can't even – I got a new computer here and I can't even use it. All I can do is search the web and play videos on YouTube. Oh, well. We'll figure it out. Hey, um, we uh, – again, remember on the show, we're here to help you find the tools. The ideas. we've gone through a lot of stuff today. We talked about – Uh, Granite Flats which is the BYU TV show that's out you can now find it on Netflix actually on the 15th you'll be able to pick it up on Netflix make sure you go check out that series it's incredible and 1960s kind of a spy thriller thing it's really awesome Um, and just check it out go experience it It's it's something that you can have your entire family enjoy also if you haven't ever seen Studio C you gotta go look that up as well we also had a great guest Karen Dillon Uh, wrote a book. I love um, Clayton Christensen. And uh, together, they wrote a book that's called How Will You Measure Your Life? So on the show, we talked about that as well. Um, And last but not least, we just talked about how your personality changes depending on where you are, what culture you're in, what language you're speaking. James, uh, you're still married. Let's just follow up on that. A lot of people are asking.
1: Yeah, still married. Moving into the apartment. Every single day we have to clean a little bit here, clean a little there. So, this is the apartment that you
2: stuff. were already living in and now your your wife is moving in. Yes. Now, so why is it so messy if you were already living there?
1: Well, because there's so much more stuff. Like my stuff compared to her stuff, she brought a like an of, entire truckload of stuff. So,
2: Excellent. Is it furniture? Do you guys have furniture?
1: We did move in furniture yesterday.
2: Like you like a piece of furniture? Like you have a chair?
1: Uh, we brought we moved into bed yesterday. Of course. Yeah. Then,
2: uh, do you have any chairs?
1: Still working on that. Still working on the chairs thing.
2: A lot of times, chairs are overrated.
1: Well, and uh, she she lived for a while in in China. Oh, and so I'm thinking maybe we can go for the kind of you know J- Japanese culture but, kind of thing, but just sitting on the floor. The floor? Why not? Yeah, that's a great chair. I think it's the world's greatest chair. Is the yeah, floor? That's a great point. Yeah, it's a great point. Sponsored by Gravity. So if you would like
2: to help James out, give him a call. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. He's taking donations for furniture. If you have any used furniture, he's more than willing to do that, even though he does have a floor.
1: We accept lawn chairs, any chair. You are. This is a chair drive. Yeah.
2: We're doing a chair drive. Hey, here's our hero of the day. We always like to end the show with something really positive and heroic. Who better to, ta- to talk about than Aaron Stofel of Menasha, Wisconsin, on Sunday evening, May 3rd, a man opened fire on the Trestle Trail Bridge, um, and after having an argument with his ex-fiance, shots were fired randomly. A few people were injured. In fact, a few were also killed. One woman's strength, though, shown above the rest. Erin Stofel was walking with her three children and her husband. When the gunman started firing, she immediately acted and began helping her children get away. Sadly, her 11-year-old daughter and husband didn't make it. They were both shot. But this woman, Erin, then did everything she could to protect her two children, seven-year-old Ezra and five-year-old Sela, were shielded by their mother as she rushed them away from the bridge in the struggle. Miss Stoffel took three bullets, yet managed to not just get her children to safety, but she was also able to uh, warn others and alert police. Ms. Stoffel is currently in critical condition, but doctors seem to think that her recovery will go very well. As of Monday, by the way, that happened last week. The update says that she is now awake and conscious and communicating by writing on a dry erase board because she does still have a breathing tube in and she is unable to walk. So, hero of the day, my friends, Erin Stoffel. The love of a mother and uh, no one more powerful than a mom or a dad and their willingness to protect their children. Folks, heroes. They're everywhere. They're around us. In fact, I would even venture to say you are also a hero to somebody. Take care, folks. We can't do the show without you. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Until tomorrow, take care.